Good evening. Your long wait is over, faithful listeners. We're back with the probably final episode of Riddles in the Dark. Probably not the final But we've threatened that before, so, you know. Because <clears throat> the last one was final as well. But we're back with another Riddles in the Dark after a long, long wait. I am here. I'm Dave Kale, of course, and I'm here, joined as always. We never do it without these two, the Tolkien professor Corey Olson and the Tolkien maven Trish Lambert. And we have a really exciting episode, the one I'm sure everyone's been waiting for for at least a month, and that's to listen to us absolutely take apart the Battle of the Five <laughs> Armies Extended Edition. Just destroy it. Absolutely. No, no, we're going to give it a thoughtful review. A thoughtful review, uh, which on my part is likely to be relatively destructive. But uh, but yeah, it was funny. I was calling this a reunion episode, you know, because of course technically Riddles in the Dark finished after we finished our review of the of the Riddles and Things for year three. Um, of course, it seems odd to call it a reunion because of course Dave, Trish, and I are together all the time. In fact, we're broadcasting tomorrow morning a film film episode. So it hardly seems like a reunion exactly. But of course, technically, from a Riddles in the Dark perspective, it is. Um, but... Um, Anyway, so it's uh, it's uh, good to be back, and it'll be uh, fun to have some sort of closure on this. Of course, we always spent so much time talking and joking about the extended editions, uh, you know, and uh, how much uh, uh, quantity of footage we were uh, uh, trusting we would get, and uh, you know that we were anticipating um, in the extended editions. Um, so it's always good to come back and review and see what we actually got and the actual impact of this uh, of this new footage uh, on the film. What I want to start off doing um, is uh, first just do kind of quick reactions. Then I want to just kind of do a, a sort of a quick march through the uh, the the actual added footage just to kind of, you know, I, I want to make sure we don't skim over too much. Um so I want to I want to at least glance at each one of these scenes. I was uh, thinking about broadcasting the video of it, but I think it's going to be sort of too complicated. What we'll do is we'll send. This is a very useful uh, link that I'm sending out. This is just a YouTube link, um, which gives uh, gives a playlist um, for uh, the entire for the whole list of of, of extra scenes uh, in the film. So I, I, that's what I'll be what I'll be uh, referring to there. So, um, so yeah. I'll so, just synchronize our listening to them, right? So everybody hit play now. Well, I mean, <laughs> we're not going to play them through, but if we, if we do make allusions to the video, we can make allusions to it with the timestamps on these videos. So you guys can all follow right, what, right. what we're looking at if you want to look at it on your own screen. Um, uh, and then I want to sort of, you know, do some sort of larger conclusions about this film and about the, the Hobbit series as a whole. Um, and then I want to, uh, you know, then after that we have, uh, sort of a follow-up question that we want to be considering. So that's, that's the plan. That's what we're, that's what we're hoping to do here. Um, so first, quick reactions. Dave, what was your quick reaction to the extended edition? Uh, prof- profound disappointment. Well, disappointment, if I use the word disappointment, that implies I had significant expectations. Which <laughs> right. Uh, uh, apathy. I most of the like I found most of the material that was added was just blah, um, or just more of the stuff that I profoundly disliked about this film. Um, there were the, the the there were two. I think I feel like there were only two scenes where they actually added stuff of substance. Um, 
the first one was the the confrontation between the dwarf and elf armies, mm-hmm. and I feel like the the changes they made to that made it worse by having the two armies actually engage. It's sort of I feel like that's kind of completely missing the point of that event. Not to mention uh, that it the, totally changed the answer to that riddle. Yes, exactly. One of the <laughs> only times we've actually had a riddle reversal in the extended edition yes. that I could that that's, I can that recall. That is true. That is true. Thank God we always added that caveat on screen in theatrical edition. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Then the funeral scene, which I actually kind of liked that. It was fine. But uh, other, other than that, I just basically was going through saying like, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was my reaction. Mostly, mostly either apathy or disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Trish, what was your thoughts? Well, I'm not sure. Uh, let's, maybe I had my expectations set so low that I didn't have a real, you know. I didn't have, I, first of all, I have always said that I, the only, I said this from the first season, that the only way I could actually stomach these films was to think of Jackson's Middle Earth like a bizarro version of Tolkien's Middle Earth. Okay. And, and that has not changed for me. I mean, I, so, so I think when I watched the movies, I was already in bizarro Middle Earth, you know? So my expectations were like, okay, this, I'm not even going to think about like Tolkien's Hobbit. I'm going to think about Jackson's Hobbit. So I kind of watched it from that standpoint. And, uh, having said that, I mean, there were still things that bugged the heck out of me. Um, but I did like the, uh, see, I like, I like the fact that the funeral, absolutely, because that, even, I mean, let's, even still leaving out Jackson, having that not happen in Jackson's version, uh, leaving out Tolkien, even having that not happen in Jackson's version was a glaring omission. Yes. So I was glad that was there. Um, I liked the fact that we got to see Radagast hand off the staff to Gandalf, but, mm-hmm. I think we'll probably go into more detail on this later. I thought it was ruined by the comic element. Well, no, oh. I'm not. I'm going to do it now. Oh. Because this yes. whole thing of, you know, oh, by the way, it may not work sometimes. And then he's in Dale and it doesn't work. And I'm like, are you kidding me now? Seriously. That was like gratuitous silliness. And and plus, this is the staff he's going to use at Casa Doom. What's he going to do? Take it to some, like, wizard staff repair shop between Dale and Casa Doom so the thing works? I mean, it was just... I didn't like that. It, it, it ruined what could have been a really cool scene of him, of Radagast giving the staff on, especially since we know that's the staff he carries in Fellowship of the Ring. So I, I like the fact that that was there. Hated execution was terrible. Um, I like the dwarf scenes. I don't know. Maybe I just got, again, maybe I just got desensitized. But I, for me, the dwarf scenes of them fighting and stuff, you know, the, especially the chariot part, and uh, and the part where they're throwing the axes and Bofer, I mean Bif- Biffer loses his axe and Bo- uh, Bomber finally talks. It, for me, that offset and it kind of diluted a little bit for me. The whole Legolas can do anything, walk on <laughs> rock falling, ground, you know what I mean? It's like it kind of like right. helped me deal with that a little bit better. I don't know why that was, but when the Legolas Silly defiance came up, it of so. the laws of physics is general. <laughs> it's not just Legolas anymore. So it's yeah. Not just Legolas. And I loved, I actually did appreciate uh, um, Balan's homage to uh, Lethal Weapon movies. I'm, t- I'm getting too old for this. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes, that's right. true. That was pretty neat. Um, uh, the Galadriel thing, I, 
I oh here's the other thing. Corey and I were talking about this earlier today. I will admit that I I was listening to the director's commentary. So I I watched the extended edition, but I did it in the director's commentary version. So I was listening to Jackson and and Boyan's talk, and I would watch. But there were some scenes. I think I did this unconsciously. There were certain scenes I didn't want to see. So for example, I saw the first part of Galadriel's arrival. And then completely missed the green Galadriel part, and I think it's because I went off to make tea or something while I was listening to <laughs> Find it. something, anything to do around the house? You had to go, like, scrub the do. grout or something in your bathroom during that part? <laughs> during that part. Yeah. I completely missed that part. And um, I think there were some other ones like that, too. I liked having seen a, a little bit more of Bjorn. I mean, it was, a, you know, it was... I'll tell you what I was put in mind of. Who's, I was put in mind of somebody's artwork, and it might have been like Howe's artwork. I remember there was some piece of art of Bayorn in the middle of the Battle of Five Armies, and there was there was a piece of blood for he fell down and turned into a bear and stuff. There was a piece that looked like it literally they had like you know used that piece of art. So it made me appreciate it a little bit more. It was kind of silly that all it did was just extend the amount of time we saw him as a bear. I mean, there wasn't really anything big about it. Um, what else? I guess that was about it. I mean, I, 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 I also having listened to the to the commentary, you know, I could, I listened a little bit more to uh, the uh, decision, you know, how decisions got made, and you know, well, we were going to do it this way, we decided to do it that way. Oh, I know what I was going to say, and I think my experience with film film and us really getting into and delving into how would we adapt has softened me up towards this precocious child that I wanted to put in to his bedroom for the rest of his life at the end of the theatrical version. I now will let him out and I'll put up with him um, because I kind of get at least the challenges of adaptation. Still got a problem with execution and, and almost everything. But I had, that started for me back in movie one. You know well, what I mean? I was like, so... I, I, I kind of... You know, on that note, Trish, I, I don't know if you saw the... I think we I think we mentioned this on the previous film film but didn't discuss it. Um... And we can get into this a little bit later, but my when you start th- when you start thinking about that, like con- adaptation, conceptualization versus execution, that that takes on a whole new interpretation in light of that interview that Jackson recently gave, or, or actually, I guess it's comments he made in the appendices where he's like, "Yeah, we were yeah, just flying by the seat of our pants, no plan, didn't storyboard or anything." Yeah, but, that, like, but, that, but did you actually watch the appendices? Because that's that's not. That's out. Of, that's taking out of context. So wait, it, what okay. he was, we can get what he was saying was he was comparing it. Well, first of all, he was comparing it to Lord of the Rings, in mm-hmm. that he had a huge amount of like prep time before they ever started filming. He didn't mm-hmm. have that for The Hobbit. Yeah, yeah. And and he did say that there were times he walked on the set and just wasn't sure. You know, you know, he like he wasn't sure what he was going to do. But he was saying it more from the point of view of being frustrated about that because of the fact that his preferred way of doing it was the way he did it for Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't like, oh, we no, just no, did it. It wasn't like – so that was the context, you know, that he was saying that stuff in. No, 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 I'm sure. I, I'm just thinking, you know, when I hear that, I think, hmm, it shows. Like, well, uh, I mean, yeah, that's honestly – But I think that's true. I do. I think it does show. The thing I that think. I think – when I hear that, is basically I kind of take it with a grain of salt. I mean, uh, I, I I suspect that Peter Jackson knows by now that people don't think as highly of the Hobbit films as they yeah, thought of the true. Lord of the Rings films. And so yeah, what's he right. going to say when people ask him? I mean, it, it, yeah, it's, these films are worse films. Is he going to be all like, yeah, 
I thought this was the best constructed film I have ever directed. Like, everything went so smoothly, and it was just exactly how, like, I wanted it, and if you don't like it, too bad. No, that's not what he says, because, like, the thing is a wreck, and everyone is pointing out what a wreck it was, so of course he's going to be like, well, it was kind of slapdash, and it was... I don't remember this exactly. I can't say I'd have to go back and look at Pendencies, but I think some of these comments were actually made at the time. In other words, they were made before the movie even came out, or right at the movie coming out. In other words, his saying this sometimes was, you know, before any of the critics panned the movies. Right, but... Um, so it wasn't like, you know, with the extended edition No, kind of but but even um, there, I mean, I think, like, it's... I, I, I don't know. I mean, you do it to... You, you say that kind of... I mean, I, I'm not even... It's not like, that I'm, like I'm accusing him of lying or something, but, like, uh, something... Things like that can always be said. But, I mean, like, you're lowering expectations you and you're... And, and, I mean, it's it just... Of course you say that kind of thing. What, what else are you going to say? True, I think was true was he knew it wasn't as good a movie. He yes. himself knew it wasn't. I don't yes. think he was happy with it. Frankly. I don't think, I think so either. I hope he wasn't. I think that's where those comments came from. Yes. I don't think he was pleased with this. And I, I think he's right to not be because I don't think it stands, it doesn't hold a candle to The Lord of the Rings. No. No, um, yeah, I certainly hope so that anyway, he's not that pleased with it. You know, and I don't know that it was necessarily an excuse he was making. It was a statement of fact, you know, that he just did. And I didn't, wasn't he sick, too? I know he was sick at some point. I don't know if he came in sick or was sick sometime during the first... Anyway, he he wasn't trying to make excuses, but I think he was, like, voicing his own frustration. Didn't come out and say, I didn't, I don't like, you know, these movies didn't come out as well as, you know, he didn't say that, but that was kind of, for me, the undertone of what he was talking about. And I agree with him. These movies don't hold a candle to the Lord of the Rings, you know. I, I it's like they're just anyway. But yeah. Yeah. like I said, you know, I was looking at it from Bizarro Middle Earth. So, and, and you know, for me, the Lord of the Rings is not Bizarro Middle Earth. I mean, I think he did do a very fine job of of representing Tolkien's Middle Earth. He did not do that with The Hobbit from day one. I mean, I still say the same thing. I mean, I would still say the same thing that I've been saying all along. In that, um, I. I the, the Lord of the Rings movies are that they are better as movies by an order of magnitude. I mean, oh, they are they are ten yeah. times the movie, and that was something I was really struck by when I sat down and watched all three of them through at the at the marathon we ran last uh, last year, almost a year ago now, uh, in Boston, and it was the first time I'd seen them in at least five years. I just hadn't I just hadn't seen them hadn't hadn't watched them, and so sitting down and watching them almost like afresh. Uh, after a multiple year break, I was just really struck by what good movies they are and um, was distant enough from sort of nitpicks about adaptation and things to be able to appreciate that even the bits that I find from a pure Tolkien adaptation standpoint to be somewhat incoherent, um, such as, for instance, such as, you know, Arwen's fate being tied to the fate of the ring, which I still don't exactly understand what the heck he's doing there uh, from a Tolkien lore perspective. But thematically, it works really well with the themes that the films themselves are developing and the sort of the, the structure and shape of those films. It's really great. Um, so as films... The Lord of the Rings uh, 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 films are phenomenal, but I, I do think, and I still think, that the Hobbit films are much more thoughtfully engaged with the books. I mean, you can disagree with the with the choices that they made about where they wanted right. to take things and what they wanted to do, but they are engaging thoughtfully at every point. 
Um, I mean, and I feel confident in saying that at every point, all of the major decisions they made, none of them seem to me in the Hobbit films. None of them seem to me just to be like, ah, forget the book. We're just going to do our own thing. They're all connected to the book in certain ways. Again, he doesn't always make the choices I would make, but but he's making choices, or they are making choices in connection with the book. Um, whereas I did, I felt that there were times when they were just. Not, I mean, I don't think the choice, uh, you know, to cite everybody's least favorite part, or at least almost all Tolkien fans' least favorite part of the Lord of the Rings films, the choice to do with Faramir what they did with Faramir, you know, and have Faramir take Frodo captive and march him towards Minas Tirith. That's not a book-related choice. Um, and you can hear them, you can hear that in the commentary, in the, in the director's commentaries on the Lord of the Rings films, when they're just like, oh, Faramir would never do, you know, we, this wouldn't fit, we, it just wouldn't work, we wouldn't, you know, so we pitched that, you know, like, it's fine, you can do that, they have a right to do that as adapters, but it's a moment where they're saying, eh, you know, let's kind of screw what the book is saying here and we're doing, right. you know, we're taking this in the direction that we think it should go. There's really no point where I felt like they just kind of tossed the book out in that way in the Hobbit films. Um, no matter how radical might be some of the changes that they made in the Hobbit film, nevertheless, I think that all of them, you can, you can see them to be rooted in a thoughtful reaction, at least, uh, to the books. Anyway, so I, 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 I that in the Hobbit films they did that? Yeah, in the Hobbit films. I think the Hobbit films are, I, I mean, I, I think they, I, I consistently, I think that the way that they engage with the books is far more interesting and far more, um, and far more thoughtful, far more thoroughgoing all the way through. Um, I, you know, I, I, I've always said that and I still maintain that. Um, I, I, I have to, I have to admit, however, that I absolutely hate the third film. See, here, my experience, my experience with the first, and you know, you guys, some of you guys, those of you guys have been around with Riddles in the Dark through all the years, will remember that when, I, and Dave, I remember, I think you had the same experience that I did when we came back, you know, coming back to watching um, the first film, for instance. I mean, I remember very clearly having this experience uh, when I saw the, uh, the, the Unexpected Journey um, on video. Right, you know, when when it came out, I hadn't seen it for over six months, and it came out, and I watched it again, and I found that I enjoyed it much more after the gap of time. Um, you know, the things that had that had been kind of an annoyance to me, I was able to kind of, I knew they were coming, and I was able to kind of let it go and get past those, and there were things I was able to appreciate um, that I had really not appreciated because I was so focused on some of those kind of more superficial things. Um, and my, 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 my the, simply the experience of watching the film was much more pleasurable um, after that delay and coming back to it, you know, like a, uh, well, I was going to say a second time. Of course, it was more like a fifth time, but you know what I mean. After that gap, <laughs> I had the opposite experience uh, with the Battle of Five Armies. I just watched it again, um, and, and and I did watch it all the way through. I just I, I didn't just go. I didn't go through and skim the extra scenes. I just I just watched the whole extended edition from from one end to the next. And, um, I, 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 everything that I disliked in the, in the theatrical edition, I, I disliked at least as much. Like, everything that, that merely annoyed me, 
in the theatrical version uh, uh, was like a source of aggravation or even pain uh, when watching it again. I just, I, I, watching this film, sitting through this entire film again was a painful experience. Um, I, I, I was surprised actually at how, how I had to screw myself to the task of getting through that film because I hated it so much. Um, and it was, uh, <laughs> I'm trying not to hold back. I mean, I'm telling you what I really feel about this. I, I, I you know, perhaps I, no, but okay. No, I'm not going to censor myself. This is, this was horrible. Um, that, because the things that I merely disliked, I, I, it's with the, with distance, they, they're not any better. The Galadriel thing was worse. Because yep. now that I was coming to it from a, you know, I knew what to expect, so I wasn't having the same kind of like, oh my gosh, what the heck is this doing? What is it doing with Galadriel? This is worse than Faramir. Um, I was like, okay, I knew what to expect, and so I was able to come at it, um, just sort of, you know, sort of consuming it as part of this film. And the result of consuming it as part of this film was to say that was bloody incoherent and even on its own terms doesn't make a lick of sense. It doesn't, and it's just as for, uh, to, 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 like, by contrast, for instance, with what I was saying about, like, the Arwen thing, which I dislike in the Lord of the Rings films. That makes no sense from a lore standpoint. But again, it works within the scope. Like when you see, you know, you put that together with the other themes that the, that these films are, are, are unfolding in each part of them. And it works. It connects with the rest of the parts of the film. It makes the depiction both of Aragorn's character and of Arwen's character. Um, you know, it gives them a coherent, clear arc from one end to the next. It's, it, it functions really, really well. Um, the Galadriel thing, totally incoherent. I mean, I, just, I literally, I can't make any sense. I, I've tried. I can't make any sense of it. It is an utter clash with the way they depict her character elsewhere. It doesn't seem connected with any... I, I still don't even understand. Why did she turn green? Why is she shaking? What on earth is she doing? Like the, the only thing they say on screen is, uh, is, you know, Elrond makes a comment about how much of her power she expended. Does that make her turn dark for some reason? reason? I mean, is she, why is she, why does this make her look like she's been corrupted? Is she corrupting herself? Even the, you know, even, even the way that, um, that, you know, people were like, well, it's like a flashback to when she has, you know, like that temptation with the ring and the, in the fellowship of the ring. Right. Which is exactly nothing like this situation. That's, it's, that's, she's not being tempted. I'm afraid. It, I'm afraid it would just make you more mad if I told you. Yeah, was. don't, don't. I, I, and honestly, <laughs> and this is why. Like, I, I haven't watched any of the directors' commentaries. Frankly, I'm too angry at them to watch their commentaries. Right. I don't yeah. want to hear from them. Plus, I don't want to. I don't want to hear it. There's nothing they can say that will make me feel better about it. But yeah, and the, you know, like here's there's that one that that should not. Why would why would we have to watch the directors' commentary to have the explanation? It should be clear in the movie. So that's a. The other one was that I told you earlier today that also made you sputter in annoyance was he said something about, you know, I know in the first movie, in the first director's commentary, I said that the, that blade, that Morgul blade was going to, you know, be significant later. And and actually, it's, you know, but he and then he admitted it's like, well, it's didn't it's not really significant. But here's what happened to it. Gandalf had it with him and they frisked him in Dol Guldur and took it off of 
course. There's like, the big reveal. That's not significant. Of course. No. <laughs> that's the big reveal. That's not, that's not significant <laughs> at all. That's not playing a role in this film in any way, in fact. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible. That's so lazy. That's just like, that was just, that was just somebody, somebody like pulled him aside and said, hey, you should, uh, you should make something up about what happened to that. I know. And the, I mean, yeah, it's lazy. As you say, lazy storytelling. I mean, yeah. it's like the fact that that knife was sitting on the table in the, you know, sort of white council meeting, um, in the first film. The fact that and that, that we was were the, told, weren't we, that this was the knife that was going to be stabbing Frodo, didn't we? Well, yeah, no, he made a big deal of that, but but clearly, like that was that, that in, in retrospect, that seems to be the um, that that seems to be the 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 whole center of the thing, right? That they wanted a knife on the table, and somebody said, "Wouldn't it be awesome?" If the knife that they found ter- is turns right. out to be the knife that stabs Frodo later on, so that like people can recognize that it's good, and then like people didn't recognize it. So Peter Jack, because as I recall, the context of Peter Jackson's uh, comment about that originally was, I was surprised that more people didn't observe the fact right. that this was the in fact the very knife that stabs right. Frodo. So it, basically, it seems like it started off as just kind of an Easter egg, and then he made a big deal of it, and like this Morgul knife is a huge deal, and then it just becomes one of the many dead ends that he runs himself into right. in the third film right. which is just right. full of this kind of uh, I mean and this is and you know basically I mean I don't want to I don't need to go over all the ground that I you know that we've gone over together you know since the third film came out the reason I disliked the third film when it uh, came out in the theater um, was simply that it did not follow through on almost anything I mean it, it right. was such a bad piece of storytelling both on its own, that is just as, as a, as a standalone film, the story within it was terribly told, um, and terribly written in many places. Oh my gosh, that was another thing that really just, <laughs> I mean, I cringed in the theater, but I was just like begging for mercy when I was watching it, um, uh, on recording. I mean, like the, the, my, my, Secondly, I, I mean, I have to say the Gladriel thing is my absolute least favorite scene in the Battle right. of Five Armies. My second least favorite scene in the Battle of Five Armies is that awful, awful exchange between Toriel and Thranduil when Toriel is weeping over the body of Kiwi. And they have this, like, incredibly stilted conversation about, like, if this is love, then I don't want it. Can you take it away? And, I mean, like, <laughs> like seriously, the dialogue in that scene is worse than Revenge of the Sith, okay? Like... <laughs> I would I would stand that scene up against any scene in any of the three Star Wars prequels. I defy you to find a worse written scene in any of those three films than that one. I mean, oh my yeah, goodness. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> that was so bad and 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 it got worse. I mean, like and, and so that's the thing. It's like coming back to them. I wasn't like, okay, now I can kind of get over it. No, I was just like struck again by how horrible it was. Anyhow, so it's I mean, big picture my biggest picture thing is it's it's almost all execution. You know, uh, uh, Timothy yeah. is asking a very sensible question. How is it that I can say that, uh, you know, I think The Hobbit is 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 consistently more thoughtful about the book and yet say that I dislike it so much? It's because of the execution. It's because they did such a bad job putting it together. Yes, they're thoughtful. Uh, uh, in almost any given moment, 
in how they're relating to the book and the the kinds of decisions that they're making, I find them all interesting. I don't agree with every one of them. I wouldn't make the same ones all the time. I find them all interesting. But the story that they're telling, how they're putting this together, um, how they're connecting it, how they are... Uh, um, and I, I, I just have to make air quotes. How they are, quote, following through on the things that they brought up in the first two films, which they utterly failed to do in the third film. I mean, almost completely across the board fail to bring almost any of the really interesting plot trajectories that they started in the first two films to any kind of... I mean, I'm trying to think of one. I'm trying to think of one subplot of the first two films that I thought came to a really satisfying conclusion in the third film. And I have a really hard time finding one that I could point to and say, you know, that one at least I really like. I mean, the best, I think, has to be the Bilbo and Thorin relationship. I think mm-hmm. he does better with that than any of the others. But I still, I mean, but so much of the dialogue at the end, that is the dialogue that isn't taken straight from the book, um, is often so stilted that, um, that, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, and by the way, we had a talking bird. That bird talked to him. That bird cheeped at him. That, that was Roak, I'm sure of it. Oh, what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Roak, the, yes. I was glad that I mean, Roak got a little bit more screen time. He actually talked. Yeah, I mean, he actually. Yeah, he he did he did vocalize. <laughs> he did vocalize at least. I was I mean I, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> I will admit that the one that was the 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 extended screen time screen screen time for Roak was uh, one of my one of my few little silver linings. Yeah. Now he originally Jackson said that originally what the plan had been was. Uh, there was going to be a scene of of Thorin sending the Raven to the Iron Hill. So we're going to we were going to see the Thorin actually dispatch the Raven. Oh, we did. We're it, see it, the, that happened. We see that. Okay, then we then we were going to see the Raven arrive, and Diane was going to you know that then they were going to do the thing, and then they were going to you know muster and set out to war. So originally that scene was going to be happening, but then they decided to cut it. There was a lot of stuff he was going to do. That I mean, it would have been a twenty five hour film. To yeah. Everything yeah. But I mean, it's and just then, you know, like I told you too. I I don't know, Dave, on the unused scenes. We're, I'm skipping around here, but do you remember? Do you remember the Lego set from from year one? Yes. <laughs> the tall story Lego set. Actually, we were anticipating huh? it, was for, it was for year two. And remember that 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 statue that had the ring underneath it in the Lego set. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to find a statue on the set of the pictures we were looking at, and there was one of a guy holding a ball. Well, one of the unused scenes was Gandalf discovering that that ball that the statue's holding was a palantir. Hmm. Yeah, so he didn't use that. But either. then again, he painted himself into a corner, as he seems to do, like... A lot. You know, every ten minutes in this third film. Um, because, of course, it can't be a Palantir because the way that he constructs the conflict with Sauron, Sauron does not, is not, is, right. he, he's not able to pack up before he leaves, so he can't Which take I'm the sure Palantir with him. Yeah. Yeah. Unless, unless, like I said, unless the plan had been for, for Gandalf to save Saruman, look, there's a Palantir, and Saruman says, oh, I'll take that. And then that explains why he has a Palantir in Fellowship of the Ring, since it's never explained how the Orthanx stone gets there. So, you know, that could have been what he was thinking. But anyway, anyway, he chose not to use that, so. Yeah, um, I, yeah. And but that explains, too, why for, for a while there, remember how that statue seemed so significant, and then it wasn't 
there was nothing about it. So yes, yeah, yeah. no, I mean there, there are a bunch of things like that. It seems. <laughs> Maybe Sauron has a backup Palantir at home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. He, he had a spare. He didn't mind losing the he one. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, it's just, oh, I, I, and, and like I said, it's just, it's almost all, it's almost all execution. And, you know, we've, we've talked, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked a lot about the prolonged action sequences in the third film. And right. I have defended, um, the principle of extended action sequences in general, um, as somebody who really likes action movies, and in particular, I really like extended fight scenes, uh, in, uh, in, 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 in action films. I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of this. Much can be accomplished there. I, 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 I have, objected to and will always object to anybody who claims that these, you know, sort of action fight scenes, um, you know, that like nothing happens, no character development occurs, in which case I just say you're not paying attention. Uh, And, uh, you know, the fact that you're tuning out doesn't mean that it's bad. But the fight scenes are are really bad fight scenes. I mean, as action sequences, they're generally kind of horrible. Um, they sometimes succeed. They occasionally succeed at being comic. They rarely succeed at being anything else. The action sequences in the Lord of the Rings films are very effective, even when they're silly. I, I mean, I... I like, yes, it's silly when Legolas shield surfs at the Battle of Helm's Deep, but it works, and it works in context. Um, I... Not, but it does not work. None of them work. It, they all undermine, they get you out of the, I mean, I am, I, 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 Jackson can and does every time move me to tears at the charge of the Rohirrim into the battle of the Pelennor field, um, in the Return of the King film. Like that's, that, that is, that, that, that is a, a scene that makes me cry every time I watch those films. It's funny because I cry in a different place. Um, the catastrophe in the films doesn't make me cry because they do a comical thing there instead. And anyway, they kind of undermine it with the presentation anyhow. Um, um, so Aragorn showing up, that's where I cry every time in the book. Boy, when Arag- when, when Amir looks out and, and lifts up his sword to defy the black sails as they come up and he sees the banner unfurl, I cry like a baby every time I read that in the book. Um, in, on, in the film I cry when the Rohirrim are charging in. It's great. So well done. Um, and, and many of, even the, even the extended stuff, you know, the the stuff with the Mumak goes on a little bit longer than uh, than it probably should in the extended edition, but it's fine, you know. I I, I still, in general, it, it works really well, and it's moving and it's stirring, and there there is nothing stirring. Um, there's nothing stirring, and instead, it's just bloody frustrating because it's it's just all. Comedy, a slapstick comedy, action movie cliches like the the Azog fight, which my goodness, like the the and the way that absolutely all sense of reason is thrown out. And I don't mean to be sort of nitpick, and I've I've done this before, and the extended edition made it 
actively worse. Um, some of the extra scenes they added, added in yet more tactical incompetence on the part of the, like, if you're going to do a battle scene, at least do a freaking battle scene that makes some kind of sense. Literally everything that happens, uh, in that, uh, in that battle sequence makes no sense whatsoever with how the troops are deployed and how everything is set up. Everything is so topsy turvy and nonsensical that I can't even get into it as an action, um, uh, 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 fight sequence. But they actually did succeed in making it worse on the extended edition. I couldn't believe that he made it worse, but they did make it worse. I was, I was, I was, uh, driven to laugh completely inappropriately, laughing at rather than with the film. When Azog says, uh, in the extended edition, when he says, uh, you know, they, they will not be able to, you know, let us attack them here as well. They will not be able to fight on two fronts. And I'm like, oh, but you will, apparently. So, okay, fine. <laughs> Man, like the whole point of fighting on two fronts, Azog, is you're supposed to have another army, which is coming in. If you divide your own army to make them fight on two fronts, you've not gained a tactical advantage, you moron. But you know, one thing that got by me in the third in the theatrical release, and it it struck me, you know, in the in the in the in the extended edition, is the fact that you know, because Jackson was going on and on about how he was trying to struggle about how to get the the orc army in, and his thinking had been, you know, I can't have them just come over the hill because we just had the men and dwarves come over the hill and that wouldn't be dramatic or whatever, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But we have to have them, you know, show up as a surprise and on secret. But in the meantime. The whole command station has been being set up on Raven Hill. Nobody noticed it. <laughs> All the semaphores and stuff. <laughs> yeah, the, I like mean, Azog's already in position when the werewolves come out. Like, yeah, the timing of that. <laughs> yes, the timing of that really struck me too. I mean, the whole thing seems to be, it's not like, you know, they had built this, like, you know, concrete platforms and stuff. I mean, it's, the, the whole semaphore post seems like something that could be put up. Though again, there, we got more semaphore flags in the extended oh, editions, yeah, that's right. that's which right. again, yeah. which just undermined it to me. Cause I mean, like he's doing, he's, he's, he's making all these really quite intricate orders. Um, like not just saying, you know, you people over on the right flank advance or something like that, but like he wants a particular subset, like he wants his trolls right. to come forward and attack these one particular units. And like, with like one twitch of the right hand flag that is indicated apparently and i'm sitting here like okay so uh this is an incredibly intricate semaphore system that these idiot mountain trolls have apparently memorized uh and like in a heartbeat they know exactly how to respond as if by telepathy with what is i mean again like just i mean ah like i said i i, I was so annoyed by the battle and the tactics of the battle on in the theater i really didn't think it could be worse but it is it's it's like almost everything that was added from made it from this perspective worse undermined the drama even more made it less moving and less emotionally engaging and more intellectually <laughs> frustrating um Gerald michael said the troll wrote the signals on their hands they had to have fortunately gerald they have large hands so they could make a whole intricate you know like those uh those those arm braces that quarterbacks wear with like the right, flip cards right. and the really fine print yeah that must be what the trolls had going on there um, oh, and there were pictures. Yeah, there were pictures, pictographs of all of the different <laughs> semaphore like things. This. Yes, 
Yeah, except for the blind troll, but somebody was driving him, so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He at least had, uh, yeah, oh my goodness. Um, Stumpy. His name was, they called him Stumpy. That was his, that was his nickname. Yeah, except, did, though even that, even that, there were apparently two of that guy. Did you notice? He died twice. In the oh, extended were, oh, edition, he died okay. twice. Because he's the same, it's the same guy. That's the guy that Legolas shoots into the brain and steers him by stimulating the different parts of his cortex. Yes. He doesn't have legs either? No, he doesn't have legs either. So that, that, that stumpy troll died, like, actually went down twice in the, in the film. (laughs) In the extended edition, rather. And again, like, this is, this is, this is, you know, it's kind of funny, especially given all the criticisms that we made of the, um, uh, you know, and Trish, I remember you being especially emphatic, and I think very rightly so, about how they were playing the extended editions this past time, that is, yeah. through the Hobbit films compared to the Lord of the Rings films, where it was almost like a confession on their part that the theatrical aver- version was like, this is a... This is a paltry showing, right? This is a, this is only a half-hearted effort. Wait till the extended edition and you'll get the, the whole real movie, right? Um, and yet, despite the fact that they were building up the extended editions in that way, the majority, I felt anyway, the majority of the stuff that was in the, of the, of the extra scenes in the extended edition of this was just stuff that was cut in order to make the thing it still wasn't efficient, but more efficient. I mean, like the very first, uh, you know, omitted scene in the extended edition is Bard running around on the roofs of Lake Town a little bit more and Smaug right. breathing fire a couple extra times onto the yep. onto the town. I was like, are you serious right right now? Like that. So like, yeah, you trimmed that down to make it a little shorter. And frankly, you should have taken twice as much off, you know, (laughs) but, but that's not an extent. I mean, oh, so, I mean, it's extended in that it's longer, but, and there were a bunch of times (laughs) like that, you know, um, it's certainly longer. Yeah. We did get to see original Bolg, right? Yes. Yes. The original Bolg. That was nice. Yeah. I was pretty use him. That was that was pretty interesting. I mean, it was interesting that we got to see him. All the scenes involving him were awful. Um, yes, yes, yes. But, yes. but I like yes. him way better than the other Bulk. He's way. I cool. do too. I think they should have used him. I think he's way yes. better. Yes. Now, Dave, I have a high moment for you. So Corey got his Roak moment. So the high <laughs> moment for you was is the fact that at the, when we got to the auction scene in the director's commentary, Jackson said that a lot of people had tried to get him to cut the auction scene, and he refused to do that. He absolutely wanted it in the movie. Well, that's that's <laughs> it's something. There we go. That's one point <laughs> it, in the positive ledger. I mean, I mean, I do. Th- you know, I do wonder. Um, I do wonder if that's indicative of something. It, you know, like like I'm, I was, I'm personally satisfied that scene was in there and I enjoyed it. Did it? Like, does that make it a better? Like, I mean. I can imagine a world in which you would cut that scene to make room for lots of other things that would probably make it a better movie. It would make it, you know, there'd be less fan service. I'd be disappointed there's well, no auction. Well, I, I, I think the, 
point, if I mean, maybe I'm making this up. Maybe it wasn't Jackson doing it, but the point that I see of it is that we see him, he's a different Hobbit than he was when he left. Yes. I mean, yes. you know, that's... Even, even how different physically he looks. I mean, he's been wearing the same outfit pretty much. I mean, you know, he's added his blue coat and that he got, that he got in Lake Town, as I recall. And of course, he got his mythical yeah. shirt. So his outfit has been like slowly changing, but he, when he's, Goes back to the Shire. He's what his his costume is completely different. He looks like an alien, um, and not like I, I don't mean like an outer space alien, but I mean he he does not fit in at all. Yeah, in Hobbiton when he comes back, um, and I think that that's really fun. And Joyce is exactly right. It's the culmination of the Bilbo Thorin uh, theme um, when uh, when Bilbo finally sort of processes you know and says that Thorin was his friend in, in the 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 one. Uh, um, the the one plot thread that they right. almost actually and then he hangs up, up his mom's picture, which is the toque. You know, he's yeah, he hangs the toque up back up on the wall, which was also sort of symbolic. I thought. Yeah, so, I mean, there no, were pieces. I mean, I could get it. It was a fit ending. I thought, you know, and certainly I, I a substantive scene. I mean, boy, what a loss yes. it would have been, and not only for fan service reasons, though. Dave, certainly, I agree. For fan service reasons, it's an important scene, but. They actually made use of that scene. I mean, frankly, I think the auction scene... It's probably the best. In my, in my vote, I mean, I would vote for that. I can't think of any scene that's better than that in the whole second half of the film. Um, and I have to say, I liked Thorin's deathbed conversation with Bilbo a great deal less watching it through this time. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I kind of liked it in the film when I saw it in the theater. Um I liked it less on my second, on, you know, on my return viewing here. Um, it was still okay. It wasn't a disaster. Um, so, like, that was okay, and the auction scene was good. Other than that, I have very little... T- I mean, okay, yeah, no, the scene with Bilbo and... Funeral. I'm glad they had a funeral. Yeah, yeah the addition of the funeral. Though, again, there, I, I mean... Yeah, I approve of that being put into the extended edition. What I disapprove of is them having taken it out in the first place. In the first I mean, place, yeah. For crying out loud, it's a minute and a half long. It's a minute and a half long. They did not gain very much by taking I it out. Um, in the first place, all they gained was making the end, like, they didn't even say in the theatrical edition who was king. He just walks out yeah, and the whole... Right. Situation is utterly unresolved. So, I mean, a minute and a half to bury Thorin and to uh, to grieve over Thorin and Feely and Kiwi and to uh, that is somebody other than Toriel grieving over them, um, and then to 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 crown Dan. I mean, crowning Dan only took ten seconds. Um, you know, like that's by the way a little behind the scenes thing. He said that I guess it took like all of one day, you know, a very long day to to film the funeral scene, and the three guys on the you know the three day. And body guys kept falling asleep. So they, from the time to time, there'd be like a snore coming from one of the, one of the dead bodies. <laughs> <laughs> probably ruined. It probably broke the mood. <laughs> now the Lotro player in me, Sharon just noted, we got more battle goats. The Lotro player in me loved to loose the goats or whatever he says. Bring on the goats or whatever. You know, it's like all right, battle goats, yeah, formation. The, the, you know, the, the, to me, it was kind of, uh, I, I kind of had a love hate thing there. On the one hand, like, taken in a vacuum, I liked the increase battle 
competency of the dwarves. Like the dwarves came off as a much more fearsome force. Um, you know, right. the, the dwarves of the Iron Hills. Um, right. with their artillery and their, uh, their, you know, war chariots and their, their goat cavalry and everything. That was pretty cool. Um, now again, in a vacuum, right? How those things were actually deployed in the battle to me, like, undermined it to such an extent that I was just irritated. But, um, but, but in principle, I kind of liked that idea. Again, in, in the end, I don't think that he got any good out of it because these things were just kind of trotted out, um, and presented to the viewer like a freak show without ever actually really putting it together. Uh, and again, it's just, it's so frustrating and as if, um, the, the, you know, my insistence on battle tactics might seem like nitpicking. You know, it might seem like, oh, you know, that's an unrealistic sort of expectation that they're going to think through it that much. But the Battle of Helm's Deep in the, in the Two Towers film was really good tactically. I mean, the, there, there were, the, it was very interestingly done. Um, but it was, um, just so frustrating. Um, just so frustrating. And, and there were things that I got annoyed by that had been there in the theatrical edition, I think. Did we see the Eagles strafe along and, uh, you know, so like we see the army of Gundabad orcs approaching and then the Eagles swoop down and like cut this big swath through the ranks of the Gundabad orcs. That happened in the theatrical edition, didn't it? Pretty sure it did, yeah. Pretty sure it did. Yeah. yeah. Just and really... Think so. What I was wondering... Were... What I was wondering is, in the theater version, did we see them come in over Thorin's head, like we did in the extended edition? Did that happen in the theater version? Uh, they flew in right as he was having his yes, mast. Yes. You know, yeah, I'm okay. pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. But yeah, so okay, I, I have another fun fact for you, by the way. No, go ahead, but just come back. Okay, to I'll, I'll, I'll come back to the phone. Well, just again, tactically speaking, and again, I know it seems like nitpicking, but do you remember what weapons the Gundabad orcs were carrying? Okay, maybe you didn't notice this. What the, the weapons that the good, okay, so now imagine, imagine you are a troop of foot soldiers, okay? You are a troop of foot soldiers, and there's a chance that you might get attacked by a winged cavalry, okay? There's a, there's a non-zero chance that giant, that gigantic birds might swoop down out of the sky and try to rake through your ranks with their claws. Knowing that this is a, a that this is a non-zero possibility, how would you arm yourself to try to prepare a countermeasure against giant birds swooping down? You might just choose to bring twenty-five foot pikes that you could set against the ground and defend against a winged cavalry charge. That is indeed what twenty-five foot pikes are for. That is not traditionally winged cavalry charges, but against cavalry, you know, the, against the, the 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 mounted charge of larger and superior forces like that. That's exactly what the Gundabad orcs were carrying. Like they were actually carrying the weapons that would have been perfect to set and use against the eagles. And what do the eagles do? They just swoosh through them. And, and, and it's like, had that been real eagles and those real weapons, okay, Carolyn, you're right. Bows would also be good. They had some of those too. But again, if you're the infantry, right? <laughs> you're not the archers. You're the infantry. Like that's the weapon you would have. You would want, you would want your, your people, at least half of them to have those kinds of pikes so that you could set these wall of 25 foot pikes and the eagles couldn't get anywhere close to you without getting skewered. 
and that's just what they had, and it did, I didn't make a lick of difference. You know, and the Eagles just go through them like paper, and I'm just like, come on, man. <laughs> and in the end, what did the Eagles accomplish? They chased bats around. That's all. They just chased bats around. That's all the Eagles do in the battle, other than those, like, and drop gigantic bears. Um <laughs> and take take Radagast off over the horizon. <laughs> yes, so that to prevent him doing any harm to himself or others, apparently, <laughs> during the battle. Um, okay, well, my fun fact, I got a fun fact for you. You're going to love this one. Okay, so interview with Lee Pace during the, in the appendices. He says, he says, you know, my biggest, one of my biggest fears was they were going to want to, like, do something with my eyebrows, you know, like, shave my eyebrows. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting laughing because <laughs> we made so much of Lee Pace's eyebrows. <laughs> and it turns out what they did do, actually, was they did tape up the outer edges of his eyebrows. So they used tape, you know, to sort of lift the outer edges of his eyebrows. And I was looking and I was like, oh, yeah, it's true because his eyebrows, his natural eyebrows go pretty much straight. Yeah. But in the movie, you know, they go up. So that's, but it was, I cracked me up. Cause it was so like Thranduil's eyebrows movie. were cosmetically enhanced. Yes. So uh-huh. they absolutely deserve to have a, they should have been on the credits on their own, Lee Pace's eyebrows as themselves. Yes. As themselves. Except yes. Themselves. And a whole subset right. of, uh, Lee Pace's, uh, uh, you know, we, we, yeah. we have the hairdressers More and the eyebrow and... dressers. And, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, excellent. Um, Sharon was asking about the, um, uh, the, the exploding melon heads, uh, in the, uh, uh, in the extended edition. And there was a great deal, there were a great deal of exploding heads, um, in the extended edition. I, I don't know. I mean, I have to say on the one hand, um, the fact that they all explode into gouts of black blood, appropriately, um, to me really lessens sort of the emotional impact. I mean, uh, just because the blood is black instead of red. That is, it's, it's, there's not, you know, people aren't all splattered with red blood. Um, and that actually makes kind of an emotional difference for me in watching it. It didn't really, I, I wasn't, um, Dime, I, I do believe that it's the, it's the, it's the, the, Increased decapitation that did get them the R rating, um, I think appropriately. No, oh well, actually, he said it was the knife going through Bulk's hand that got him the R rating. Kidding? Wait, it That's was what? what? Not the not the exploding heads. <laughs> no, but I I would think it would be all of that stuff. Wait, 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 I mean, wait, wait. What got them the R rating? There's a knife. There's a knife that goes through Bulk's hand, which apparently is in, is it oh. happened in the theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He catches the sword through his hand and then goes to stab the person with it while it's still impaling his hand. I, I, I kind yeah. of like that actually. Um, when, when we, when, when we got to that scene, both of them said, and this is what got our, our rating, is what they said. So I don't know. You know, you really? have to kind of take a grain of salt. Okay. I'm so, just glad. The rumor had been that it was Feely was going to get decapitated. You know, when, when Feely died. Oh. I'm just glad that wasn't the case. No, he got stabbed. Yeah, that, yeah that's, I know. that seems implausible. I, I, thought, I mean, you know, I guess I he could have cut his head off afterwards. You know, they were but... going to change it, or they were just going to change the way they killed him. You know, and I was huh. that strange. That well, I think yeah, uh, Michael. Uh, Chiskovsky says that, uh, you know, it's the, like, the decapitation stuff is clearly fake and intended to be taken as such. Yeah, Michael, I mean, again, I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't feeling, uh, I, yeah, it, almost any time that happened, most of the added gore, um, in the extended edition battle sequences was all in a comical context. Um, so, 
it didn't really strike me um, as sort of shockingly more brutal, uh, even though it was more graphic in that sense. But um, anyhow, yeah, I, I. Um, Let's ask our question. I found uh, it. I found the. Here, wait, wait. Actually, before we ask our question, let's um, let's because there are a few scenes that we should do justice to that we haven't done justice to. Um, one, uh, the the exposure of Narya, the Ring of Fire on Gandalf's oh, hand. Yeah, that that yeah, I I blocked that out. Just rolled that into generally awful scene with um with cut bulg, but um, but that was terrible. That yes. was really that was just just I mean, there's so many things like that that just seem gratuitous. There yes. just doesn't seem to be any reason for it. It doesn't do anything for the story. Like that's they're just trying to cram like I feel like they're misjudging Tolkien fans. They're thinking, you know what yeah. Tolkien fans would love to see? Tolkien fans know Gandalf has the ring and I bet they would love it if we had a call out to it right here. And and it's like, no, we hate that. That's we hate terrible. that. Absolutely. Makes no terrible. sense. Well, here's there's the other Gan- thing. You know, there's going to go bizarro on us and do this and and bring up the thing that Gandalf's got that ring and that that then Galadriel shows up with her ring and offs the guy, but yet they don't follow through and have Elrond use his ring during the, the battle. If you're going to do it, do it and show all the three rings. But they don't do that. It's like they add this in. You only get to see two of the rings, but you know there's three, and so it's kind of left in the air as to who yeah. has the third ring. We don't. Yeah. You know we what? don't actually know. Don't, as, do, as moviegoers, we don't know that Elrond has, has that ring. You know do we? Don't, don't do it. it. <laughs> just don't do oh, yeah. it. Yeah, just don't do because it. it. it because but that's it. what I mean. It's like if he's going to do it, do it, but don't do it. Just don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That was... I I don't know. Did, I don't know. Did you have, like? What's your take on it, Corey? No, I mean that was like it. Just it was just another thing that was. Hey, wait a second. That's actually an example of. Uh, okay, yeah. There's a counterexample. Darn it! See here, I was trying to lead with a compliment, right, for the Hobbit films by talking about how thoughtfully they engaged with the books. Well, that's a classic <laughs> example of them not engaging very thoughtfully with the right. books because it doesn't make any sense. Um, uh, you know what he's doing? He's, he's doing too much. He's, there's too much setting up for Fellowship of the Ring, to me, or Lord of the Rings films in general. You know, that's that's why would why else would he do that? The only reason he would do that is like, okay, we see Gandalf using it at the Bridge of Hazadum, but why? You know, why does he feel necessary that we have to have that? But, but the I thing is, know. thing is, in Fellowship of the Ring, for your average movie watcher, they don't even know that. No, no just, right? Like, how is using a ring? They, it so doesn't. I, I'm not even going to give them. I'm not even going to give them credit on like, well, this is just an example of them getting out of control, setting things up. No, this is just, just pointless. It's just, it's, it's, it, 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 it's, it is sort of paradoxically, as you say, Corey. It is simultaneously an example of them engaging thoughtfully with the books. Hey, they read the books. They know Gandalf wears Narya, but, but then just doing like just dumb things with that knowledge. Yes. No, and it does. I Joyce Sturgill is pointing out that, of course, the risk of losing Gandalf's ring echoes the extended showing of the loss of Thrain's ring in the extended edition of the, of the second film. Um, yes, I mean, it like the risk of Gandalf getting his ring cut off, like Thrain lost his ring. Um, you know that, that that there is that parallel there, right? Had both of those scenes been there. Um, you know, we would be kind of prepared for it, right, by the loss of Thran's ring. So uh, that's true. Um, but 
in the big picture, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, Narya is meant to be secret. And how is it that uh, Saruman, Gandalf is lying there unconscious when, um, after Goadriel carries him down the steps and he's just lying there with his ring hanging out for God and everybody to see. I mean, like, <laughs> it's just, it's right there. And there's Saruman standing right over him, looking down at Gandalf wearing a ring of power. And I'm just like, okay, how are you going to explain that now? You know, I mean, it's just, and Dave, I agree. It's just like, why? Why do it? Why go there? Yeah, exactly. Very upsetting. Yes. Yeah. Um, So there's that. It just seems, it just seems, there's so many things like that they do that just seem gratuitous. Right. They they just seem so It's gratuitous. like a walking trivia contest. <laughs> how much how much stuff, how much Tolkien stuff can we pack Well, into see, this? I mean, no I reason. would be given that as Joyce has, has pointed out, given that this is actually like a motif that they have I mean, uh, assuming, you know, if we right. think of all three of the extended editions together. Um it right. is a motif, right? You've got the you've got the loss of the dwarf ring of power, the threat of the loss of the elvish ring of power, and the and the finding of the one ring, right? So you've got this whole ring of power motif going on throughout mm-hmm. the whole films. Like, I'm willing to give him that. He wants to do a ring of power thing. Like that's that could be interesting. Not the way that he does it, though. I mean, the way that he does it isn't interesting. Like, he doesn't show any real connection. Again, like, thematically, it doesn't hold together. What does the loss of that ring have to do with the finding of, of Bilbo's ring? Right. Um, why is Gandalf... Like, what would it even mean to Gandalf to lose that ring? And what... Because, I mean, the elven rings are not well, exactly... What would it be to Sauron to have it, too? I mean, right. Well, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's, I, I, yeah. I think... So, so in this case... I, I it, it seems similar to me to the way they horribly they, it's very similar to the Galadriel transmogrification thing and also the constant overuse of Gandalf Gandalf's weird god voice thing yes that like that like basically they used they used it in fellowship of the ring and even there I thought it was kind of dumb and weird but I accepted it and then they used it in the in the um and then they used it in the, the 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 unexpected party scene, which was really odd and weird. But I was like, I'll just let it go. And then next thing I know, he's doing it everywhere. And then that's when you just realize they just they just love this. They're just like, this is a really cool thing we came up with, guys. Right. Um, enough should do this to everyone. Just anytime he gets a little bit annoyed at anybody, he should break out the god voice. Boy, aren't we clever? Look at this cool thing we came up. And then they just use it everywhere. Same thing with the Gladriel thing. And then another example is this ring thing. Like I, I think these are cases where I think they just got out of control. They they basically just became enamored of whatever thought or idea they had. They just think like, hey, this is a great idea. We thought of it. Let's use it. And and it just doesn't like the Gandalf thing gets really annoying. The ring the the po- rings of power stuff really just some total make no sense and don't contribute anything right. to the story. Um, and and I, ima- I and I can't imagine anyone who likes it. I imagine people who aren't fans of the books don't even understand what's going on, and then people who are fans of the books just are hitting themselves in the forehead. So I, I I don't know I I think there's a lot of things like that where they just became enamored of some particular idea or device that they made up, and then they just keep then they just go they just keep hammering away on it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. It's it's 
Um, and again, it's just, to me, it's another example of the way that their, their story is not executed well. I mean, just, they didn't yeah. tell a good and compelling story and the, they did tell right. a really good and a really compelling story with fascinating inter, uh, uh, interlocked themes. The way, I mean, like, again, when I, when I just watched the Lord of the Rings films again recently, I was really struck by in the two towers, you know, when they're going back and forth between Frodo, Sam, and Gollum on the one hand, and um, and you know stuff going on in Rohan on the other hand. The way in which the themes that are unfolding in each of those things play off against each other is really cool and really fascinating. The way that sort of the story as a whole kind of explores these same ideas, same ideas from different angles, really fascinating stuff. Um, and and nothing. You know, and that just that kind of thing is just uh, is just very much absent, um, done very awkwardly in the Hobbit films. Um, as far as the um, uh, the uh, the the Radagast scene, the handing off of the staff. On the one hand, I have to I have to acknowledge that that was one example uh, of a. Um, that was one example of a a loose end that was left dangling in the theatrical edition that did get tied up in the extended edition. I cannot deny mm. that that was indeed the the closing up of a of a of a hole that was left in the theatrical edition by the cuts. Um, Wait a minute. I think I just went away a little while. What was the what was what was the handing off of the the handing off of the staff from Radagast oh, to staff. Gav. Yeah, yeah. yeah, because we you know it's I mean plugged. that's what I see. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I do like the fact that, that hole was plugged. That hole was plugged, but, but it was plugged terribly. Stuff. Oh my goodness, was that awful? I preferred silence in the end. Uh, like yes. at least in the theatrical edition, not knowing how it happened, I could imagine it was something cool. Right. When in fact, right. what we got was first of all. Uh, even and Trish, I totally agree with your comment from before. The comical undermining of that moment was oh. just like the worst possible t- I can imagine. I mean, like it's it's for all that that seemed like that was going to be such a big deal, right? I mean, we were all kind of we, we were ready, right? I was ready. I was ready to tear up. Okay, right. when when Gandalf got his staff from you know when when we first observed that. You know, the staff that Radagast was using looks exactly like the staff that Gandalf uses in the Fellowship of the Ring, and it's like, oh, he's gonna, he's gonna get Radagast, and then we see Gandalf's staff be destroyed at the end of the Desolation of Smaug, and we're all like, oh, he's gonna end up with Radagast's staff, and that's gonna be, you know, so beautiful in one way or another, and, and when it happens, it was first pathetic, and then undermined. Right. So, I mean, first it's just Gan- we so all we see is Gandalf and and uh, and 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 Radagast strolling along in in Radagast's backyard at Ross Goble, and Radagast is just like, "Hey, uh, want my staff? Yeah, yeah, you might need this. Why don't you take my staff?" And Gandalf's like, "Uh, okay, thanks." You know. <laughs> I mean, I, I was just like, wow, that is exactly, I can't, I literally can't imagine a more anticlimactic, dissatisfying, unemotionally moving way that that scene could possibly have happened. All I was thinking, all I was thinking during that scene was, 
Man, they should have killed off Radagast. Our idea was so much better. Holy cow. The story would have been so much more compelling had they done what we said. Uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like, had Radagast died? Because, first of all, why not kill Radagast? I mean, he he vanishes anyway. They don't make a lick of use of him. I mean, okay, yeah, he's flying on top of Gwaihir, as if Gwaihir couldn't have handled that by himself. You know, uh, we don't actually see Radagast uh, do anything, you know, succeed in any, and accomplishing anything in the battle. So he might as well not be there. Um, he could have had a, a nice, dramatic, and emotionally moving death, and then given Gandalf his staff in remembrance, and then therefore, when Gandalf is wielding the staff of his, uh, his dead friend Radagast in the battle, you know, it, it would have been, it could have been meaningful yes. in a bunch of ways. I mean, oh man, like, but even if you don't kill him, you, they could have done more than that. And then, as you say, to then add insult to injury and make a joke out of it. I know. Oh. That just was bad. Oh, so that one contributed. Like, the, the, it's not just, like, extra ridiculous, um, extra ridiculous and action. Of, and I'll tell you, what even makes it more insulting is the setup. The, the thing about the thing not working when he's trying to fight the dr- troll in jail. That, oh. and Dale is the setup for Alfred to die in the troll's mouth. Yes. That's that's like that's put the cap on it for me. It was like seriously. Yes, he's I, made he's made Gandalf a comic sideshow to Alfred. Yes. <laughs> which is which is really saying something because oh, oh, no. Alfred is just ridiculous. And that's and oh that was God. the thing that, that was another part that that made me laugh. Um it was the only scene that I bust out laughing at the fact that it existed. Um <laughs> I mean, I was watching the film and, and, and I was like, holy cow, are you telling me he cut an Alfred scene? Like all of those <laughs> Alfred scenes that everybody was complaining about. And like, I mean, I, I think that I was, I, I was at one with most viewers in grudging every single bloody second that Alfred was on screen, right. uh, you know, and we weren't doing something else. I mean, I, I Alfred was used thematically. I'm not going to totally knock it. I think it was a very bad way to do it. It could have been done much, much better with almost any other number of characters. I, 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 I I'm extremely annoyed by Alfred, but I won't say that they're completely useless. They do accomplish some things. Again, I, I don't, I think that those things could have been accomplished much, much better. Um, but, um, uh, but, but anyway, anyway, it's, it's, uh, I, the, but, but yeah, so the fact that there actually had been an, a, another Alfred scene, which had actually been removed, just made me, just made me bust out laughing. Oh, 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 I have another fun fact. Little did I know I was going to be doing this at intervals. Okay. So here's another fun fact, okay? So there was another thing in the appendices about the, there was a scene where, where Bard and, and Thrand will come up to, as after Bilbo has given him the Arkenstone. And they come up to like talk to Thorn and say, you know, so so Thranduil's line was something like, you know, the the payment has been received for the debt you owed me or whatever. Anyway, the deal was the, the horse he was the, so he was riding a horse that would be turned into the elk, and the the thing about the thing in the appendices is this horse would not stand still. Every time Pace started the line, the horse would move off his mark, and it was got to be comical. But anyway, but the bottom line is, and this is the fun fact, is that the horse's name was Moose. <laughs> 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 no, you're right, Corey. He was yes. riding a moose. <laughs> yes, I I knew it all along. <laughs> That's really funny. Isn't that funny? I know. That is. That is. Um, so it's an punctuating on fun facts. Somehow that makes me feel a little bit better about all this. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. That's really good. Um, well, and you know, the thing is, I, Corey and I talked about this earlier today. You know, I don't want to take away from the fact that there was, you know, there was good acting. You know, I mean, given within the constraints that these actors had, I mean, I think Richard Armitage did a great job with the Thorin that Jackson created, which was nothing like the Thorin in the book. But still, yes, you know, Bilbo, I mean, uh, Bilbo, Martin Freeman could do Bilbo any day for me. I mean, he was awesome. And, of course, Ian McKellen is Gandalf, although, like somebody just mentioned, you know, he's he's a little bit more snivelly and frail and whatnot than I'd like to see him. But, um, you know, but, of course, he's Gandalf, you know. So, I mean, and, and so many other people did good. And then people behind the scenes and all that stuff, you know. And, you know, I mean, there were, through the whole trilogy, I mean, you know, the there are scenes that I, I loved The Unexpected Party. I loved Riddles in the Dark, you know. I, I mean, I can, I can, there's specific scenes that I really enjoyed. Um, so I don't want to take it away from them. Yeah. It's just... No, I agree. And and your point about the acting, I agree. That was another thing I was thinking at many points in this final film is uh, is that you know a bunch of these actors were dealt a pretty bad hand. I felt by the writers and directors yeah. of this film, yeah. and Armitage was number one on that list. Um, I mean, I felt like he. I felt. I mean, I'm not an expert on this, and other you know many people know way more about acting than I do. But I felt like he did a really good job doing what Jackson wanted, even though I think that was not very good. Uh, you know, so I, I, the, 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 the way that, the way that, um, uh, that, that Thorin's character went and the way that Thorin's madness was done and how cheesy it was. And oh my gosh, Dave, that scene when like he gets <laughs> swallowed into the, into the floor of gold. That was just another example. It was like ten times more painful watching that. Coming back to it, I mean, it was hokey oh, enough in the theater. Scene. That was another scene. I think I had my second cup of tea for that scene. I didn't yeah. watch that Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Kim Wehrmeister makes a great point. Kim says, "I felt bad for all the dwarf actors. They trained so hard yeah. and went through so much, and then they were so poorly utilized." Um, oh, you'll be. You'll be happy to know that at least according to their interviews in the appendices, they had a really nice time. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm glad they had a really nice time because I, I, I do feel bad for them. But, um, yeah. uh, but, um, I, I, I want to close this portion of my rant by, <laughs> <laughs> by, I, I've saved up a compliment, right? I want to end yeah. on a positive note. There was, there was one, one of the added scenes that I really liked. I mean, I, the funeral was good, but I like barely even count that. I mean, like that was just like the, I should have been in the theater. Exactly. That's like the, the 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 addition of the funeral is to me totally undermined by the boneheadedness of having cut it in the first place. So <laughs> I, I feel like don't even get me started on the funeral. So you're um, giving them credit for fixing them obvious mistake right exactly i mean that's that's just yeah that's that's that 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 doesn't even count um but the uh scene with bilbo and bofer on the wall when bilbo is sneaking out to give up the arkenstone that was good i loved that that actually added something it's like the only scene that i thought was a well executed um and b um, really added something to the overall themes of the, yeah. of the films. Not only that film, but added to the overall, uh, uh, sort of story arc of all three films. Um, and did a thing which, which the films can do at times when they're on, which is actually invite us to think 
in new ways about a scene from the book. The fact that Bofer assumed and sympathized with and supported Bilbo in leaving. He assumed that Bilbo was leaving, right? Yeah. That he was just going to sneak off and go why. home. Yeah, he just thought he was just going to leave and go home. Yeah. Right. So we, yeah. you know, with, with the, you know, the obvious, the, the way in which this scene was the obvious counterpart to Bilbo's decision to turn back on the mountains, right, right after the ridiculous stone giant fight, um, after they've left Rivendell and Bilbo's going to leave right before they get captured by the, by the goblins and has that conversation with Bofur, right? You know, th- this scene was the obvious counterpart to that. And, and, and it worked so well, right? So, so you have yeah. exactly the same situation where it looks like Bilbo's leaving and, and Bofur is sort of catching him leaving, right? Bofur is standing guard while Bilbo's trying to sneak off. Um, but the, you know, the way in which that worked both as a parallel, but also an anti-parallel, because of course, although it looks like Bilbo is really sneaking off, he's actually not, um, you know, sneaking off to leave. And the, it added, it adds significance to, I mean, in the book, it's a question, like the Elven King asks, but like, why on earth would Bilbo go back, right? Having given up the Arkenstone, um, obviously he should stay in the camp, right? Because Thorne is going to be really mad. And, uh, and, and Bilbo in the book, he's just like, well, of course I'm, I'm got, you know, I'm, I'm not going to desert my friends, right? And so he goes back, but there's, you know, the Elven King is like, I perhaps have more, you know, knowledge of dwarves in general than you do. Um, and so, you know, he strongly advises Bilbo not to go back. But that that conversation with Bofur puts so much more pressure on that, makes it much more sort of urgent, not just explicable, but more urgent and interesting. Um, like, why does why should Bilbo go back? Why does he why, why does he even sneak off? A, you know, not that it's hard to sneak away from Alfred, but um, uh, but you know, wh- <laughs> why does he feel like he has to actually sneak out and leave and go in like defiance of orders uh, to return to Thorin? Um, you know, the fact that he's going and staying true to his promise and the way in which Bofur then comes to his aid and supports him during the conflict at the gate when Thorin is trying to throw him off the wall. Uh, that was great. Again, that was the one scene that I felt, the one added scene that I felt unequivocally added, uh, you know, material and, and really, you know, was a, was a really good scene in itself, um, and was a totally positive addition. That's, um, um, that's, that was, that was by far my favorite scene in the whole extended edition. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good scene. That was a good scene. All right. Let's segue. Let's segue to another question. Yes. Yes. We should do that. Given given that the film film project is sponsoring this this. <laughs> That's review, right. How would we How would we adapt the Hobbit? Yes. Better. That's how we would adapt. No. Uh... <laughs> well, I'll tell you. You know, I you and I talked touched on this a little earlier today, and I was thinking movie. You know, I was thinking in parallel to Jackson, how would I adapt it? But then you're like, no, why do that? Let's do it episodically, you know, yeah. like we're doing films. So yeah. that has actually changed some of my thoughts because I was thinking if I was going to do it in parallel to Jackson, I would I would leave out Radagast. I wouldn't put Radagast in the movie. I would not have Azog still be alive. I would have Bol be the one that, that had a grudge against Thorne because he killed my daddy. You you've killed my father, prepared to die. Yeah. And yeah. I would be more, I, I would think, I think I would probably want to see if I could have the story more uh, um, develop the sociopolitical things among the races, you know, so tell more of the story of the Lake Town people and the master, tell more of the story of the Wood Elves, um, uh, you know, tell the story of the dwarves. And then in, in amongst all this that's going on, 
it comes this story of the Hobbit kind of thing, you know. And I mean, it would take some thought to do that. But I, I would have Bayorn, a lot more Bayorn, no Radagast, more Bayorn, and um, and then more, you know, more developing of stories. And the, you know, just like we're doing the film, film, you know, there would have to be some some stories. You know, there would have to be some additional characters probably. And, I, and the other thing is like, I don't have anything against Tariel, and I don't necessarily have anything against the Tariel Achilles thing. I just don't feel the need to have that. But if I wanted to have another prominent uh, female character, uh, probably give Bart a wife. You know, he doesn't need to be a, a bachelor. Would I bring Galadriel in? Probably not. I don't know. But it dep- But when you go episodic, though, if we're going episodic, all of that changes. Because if we're going episodic, especially if we're following the film film, we will have covered the story. So then, yeah, we probably do need to have Radagast in something somehow, right? And the Dal Guldur stuff probably does need to hook to, yeah, you know, Galadriel. Yeah. And so if that changes, we've going episodic. It's a different different thing. Although I still would want to do a little bit more of the development of those stories of you know the Lake Town people and the Elf people and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. So I I think there's there's two different versions of this question. Um, Obviously, the more elaborate one uh, is the sort of, like, let's just toss out, like, is sort of the film film project version, which which I think you're getting into, Trish, which is, right. which is you know, suppose we abandon the idea of doing a three-part movie and let's do it as a serial and do it episodically, and that, that just, like, takes it all a different direction. But right. I think, like, like, just for the sake of argument, the thing I'm kind of interested in is what would a better version of the Peter Jackson films look like? Because... Because, you know, to remind you guys, we were incredibly optimistic at the beginning of this process. Yes. yes. We were the ones who, when, when Jackson announced, by the way, guys, surprise, three films, not two, and all that, and everybody else was like, oh, those money-grubbing grubbing SOBs. We were like, oh, no, that's a great idea. There's way too much material to pack into two films. They should do three and all that. And it wasn't until we started seeing, you know, and we were doing all this speculation, we were like, no, this is great. This is such a, you know, like, we really like the direction that it looks like they're taking this in yep. and they're filling yep. out the story and all that. And it, and it wasn't until we saw what they actually did, especially in the latter two films, that we were like, oh, boy, didn't, you know, like... And so this is a case where, where, where at least in my case, I don't like the Lord of the Rings films because I nitpick all the changes they make. In this case, I don't like... I, I, I You know, the things I don't like about these Hobbit films are the cases where I... You know, like I took it for granted that they were doing something awesome when they were making all these changes, <laughs> right. and then they didn't, and they screwed it up. I think, but I think like there's still like a kernel of really good movies here that they could have made and just didn't. Yeah. Yes. And, and I don't think, and I don't think it requires actually massive. I mean, yeah, it'd be better. It'd be better if Azog was dead and Bolg was Bolg was the one ch- chasing after them and stuff. But like but a so, lot of the stuff they did, I right, think could even have that you know I can live with it. I can live with Azog. Yeah. You know, like it yeah. it seems a little unnecessary. I agree with you, Trish. I probably wouldn't have done that either. I mean, I don't see that. I don't. I don't feel the compelling need. I wouldn't have looked at it and been like. Bolg is just not good enough for me for some reason. We must reincarnate Azog. I mean, no, I don't think I would have done that, but I'm okay with it. Like, fine, all right, you know, so it's Azog himself still, you know, still like, you know, now he's he's back and he's dismembered and he's ticked off about it. Like, okay, you know, all right, that we could make that work. Um, Dave, I agree. It's, I don't even think that there would be much, I mean, and this is what I don't like about, like, you know, the famous internet, you know, book edit of the films you don't even have to go that radical 
it's that's not the problem with these films is not that it just added all this extraneous deadweight stuff. It's the fact that the extra stuff that he added in doesn't work. Like it, yeah. it is deadweight in the films, but it needn't be deadweight in the films. It's not just a bad idea. It's just that he doesn't do enough with it, and he keeps painting himself into corners, and he keeps, um, you know, setting up stories which he doesn't really solve in the end. Um, so, I mean, like, I mean, like, just uh, there are so many examples that you can point to, but just to take one example, right? Okay, but wait, 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 wait. The question wasn't how are we, go- how would we make Jackson's film right. better? Question was how would we adapt? The no, Hobbit? well, I, so I'm responding to this was this was okay. this was Dave's first it sounded like response. You were back to- to criticizing Jackson. Okay. Right. 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 Well, no, this is just back to, back to, and you're right. I shouldn't get in. I shouldn't indulge myself in further detailed complaining. (laughs) But, but but I am like, but, but I am sort of what I'm, what I'm trying to revive is like, even, you know, just sort of as a thought experiment before we go off, before we go off, you know, into the, uh, like before we sort of depart the planet and say, all right, well, we're going to throw out this whole movie idea. We're going to just add, clunk this on to the end of our Silmarillion film series and, you know, do a whole, do like, you know, just a thorough history of the third age of Middle Earth and stuff. But I'm just thinking like, I think it would be possible just to make like a slightly better version of this trilogy. Um, and, and I don't even, and I reject the people who say step one don't make three movies. Just cut all that stuff out. No, make one or not at all. Movies. I reject that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it could, I think it definitely is a trilogy movie. It, yeah, it's. I mean, I, I and I I, I love. Yeah, I, think and, I think where the where the divisions were ma- made sense too. You know, between yeah. movie one, movie two, three. I sure. Think that made sense. Sure. Yeah, I think so. Um, well, and so what I was talking plus, about initially I'm, was what I would do if it was that and so you know I stand by the thing of I would go more across the races because you know this this set of movies really was more dwarf centric it wasn't even hobbit centric it was more dwarf centric I think I would want a bit of a more holistic well I, I, yeah I think I think if you sort of if you I don't know I think as a part of the Jackson you know uh, um Set of films, I kind of, I think I like that. That was one of the things we were most excited about. Like you know, I think maybe the first half dozen episodes of Reels in the Dark, we spent do- talking about dwarves and dwarf history. And remember, yes. people used to complain and say, "When are you going to talk about the Hobbit and stuff?" Right. I I kind of like that as a part of sort of the Jackson film, um, um, as a part of the Jackson film, um, you know, kind of universe. I think you're right, Trish. Like, if if you've put this into our Silmarillion. TV series universe, yeah, sure. Then, then you could do it broader. But I actually, I think as part of the the Jackson thing, I think it like I actually think there were too many elves. Like I think there was actually too much. Well, elf no, no. Stuff. See, but that's what I'm saying. My, how I would adapt the Hobbit. I'm not talking about you know. I mean, I'm comparing to Jackson in the sense of what he did. But I, I would in in a trilogy, I I would make it broader. I would have it be more about the races and not so much dwarf centric. I mean, I would try to do that anyway. I mean, I would have more, because I mean, there was a lot, you know, there's still film time that I could use, you know, differently and spend more time in Lake Town and spend more time in, in, in Mirkwood Mirkwood with the elves. And I I think, you know, that was one of the things that I kind of missed was there wasn't, there wasn't development of that. So that's kind of a direction I would go with. You know, you don't think, I mean, this, the second movie was like tons of screen time spent on, um, uh, um, uh, Thranduil and Legolas and Tariel standing around arguing or making eyes at yeah, each that's, other. Well, or... that's not the. I mean, I complained at the second that, that we didn't see it to see it. I would rather 
the part that I would want to see is more time of Bilbo spent in 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 you know the Mirkwood place and more elf stuff. You know, she talks about the Feast of Starlight, but we don't see a Feast of Starlight. You know, so rather than there just being all this triangular stuff going on, you know, all that Michigas, you know, show show Bilbo there and show other things going on and show more of what was going on with the elves. Do the same thing with Lake Town. I mean, we saw a lot of Lake Town, but it wasn't really substantive. You know, do something substantive with it. More And, and, Mayor, and probably the biggest thing would be more Bayorn. I mean, it was the way that we saw it in this film is we, he might as well not have even been there, frankly. I mean, other than other than they needed horses, I guess. Um, but, um, you know, but I'd like to see him more. I mean, I, I just like that. I, I don't know. I mean, what I would what what I the movie I would probably make probably wouldn't do very well at the box office. <laughs> well, I, it would be an art film. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I I I agree with Dave in that I think if if I were if my job were to be, um, how would you like? revise the Jackson films. You know, like, how, how... Is there a way that Jackson... Like, if we had to do something to the Jackson films to make them into good movies, what would we do? I don't think that much would need to be done. They would need to be oh, sort of... Yeah, that's a different... Rewritten and rethought through. Um, so, I mean, I think... Because I agree with Dave, I still, like we, like I was at the beginning and like I've been all the way through, I still love the thought experiment. I love the idea of saying, let's do that thing which Tolkien himself, you know, sort of wanted to do, thought about doing, never did. Um, you know, let's retell The Hobbit from the perspective of The Lord of the Rings and really make, um, you know, sort of expand the parts of the story that are expanded in retrospect. Of course, most particularly the Dol Guldur stuff and all of the things connected with the Dol Guldur stuff. Um you know, that's, that, that would all be, you know, showing how this is sort of part of a larger, you know, a, a larger story and a larger stratagem and the larger implications of, um, of, uh, of, of, you know, third age, you know, the, the end of the third age. All that stuff is really interesting. The whole idea, you know, so would I depart in that way? If I were doing my own feature film version, would I do that differently? No. My, I think my first impulse would be to try to do it a similar way, uh, the main thing I would change is just let's focus more on actually making a coherent story and telling a version of the story that makes sense, um, because that's really my primary criticism um, of mm-hmm. the Hobbit films as they've ended up. But there's, of course, yeah, the other, just, the other I, way. We want, the, we want the listeners to know we're not just a bunch of, like, grumps who just, you know, disapproved of them making these films from the very beginning and see we were right all along. No. We were, we were on board. <laughs> totally on board. And that's and it's... interesting. You know, Jax has definitely made his mark because I can't even talk about how I would adapt a Hobbit film without talking about his version of the film. Right. It's like we right. can't we can't even talk about making an adaptation of the Hobbit film without referring to Peter Jackson's version. No, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think so it's definitely it's, made his mark. Yeah, the, the, there's really a lot of great stuff to work with there. And Dave, I agree. It's part of what makes me so angry about it. I mean, I and that's that, that's what I, it's what I realized about halfway through watching the Battle of Five Armies this past time is that I wasn't just not enjoying myself. I was angry. I mean, it wasted watch, potential. Watching it really yeah, made wasted me angry. Yeah. Because it just, the whole thing, um, and that's why, it, it, I mean, many of you will remember how 
I stood up for the desolation of Smaug, like under siege. Everyone was criticizing me for defending it. Everyone wanted me to pan the desolation of Smaug, but I didn't. And I defended it. And I would defend it again. I would still defend it. And I haven't, my, my, I haven't changed my mind about any of the things that I said about any of the first two. Okay, that's probably not true. That's a little too sweeping of a statement. But in general, like, I'm not going back on anything that I said before. That's why my reactions, you know, my, my reactions to the three films, are the one was has some serious drawbacks but was really interesting and I'm interested to see where they're going and I can't wait to see where this get where this heads. Number two was okay, that was a little bit weird, but you know, although it was weird, I kind of like some of the things and even some of the scenes that were ridiculous, like the whole golden statue thing, at least worked well thematically and and I kind of liked it visually and symbolically. So it, it worked within the story, even though it doesn't work according to the laws of physics. Um, so I was still willing to defend it. I, I, I would defend and I would still defend Torio and Keeley. I'm fine with it. I like it. I, I like the way it works. It's all good. But then my, like my, my, my reaction to the third film is like hatred and revulsion entirely because all of the things which were still possibility, I was still able at the end of the desolation of Smaug to hope. You had had held out hope right up through the, right up through like the opening moments of uh, Battle of Five Armies. Yes. And then that's only, that's when the creeping dread comes upon you and you're like, (laughs) oh. No, they're not going to do any of this stuff. No, no, no. None of the cool things that we hoped they, they would do are actually going to transpire. And and that's what makes me so disappointed and, and, and as I say, actually angry about them. Um, so, no, I mean, I do think that that concept could be done much like he conceived of it as far as the overall concept of it. Um, but well, the it other just nice thing about better. doing a a new adaptation is you wouldn't have to be burdened by having already made Lord of the Rings. So a lot of the stuff that he did as a way of having, you know, requiring himself to do to match up with what he'd already done is not necessary the next time around. That is a, that is a pretty interesting question. I kind of wonder, I wonder if somebody does try to remake these in 10 or 15 years and decides to start with the Hobbit Will that work out for the better, or will that also go horribly awry? See, if I'd be willing to bet money, it'll go horribly awry. Me too. Here's what I would be tempted by, especially since it's been, you know, since Jackson has has has, you know, he's done the thought experiment, and 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 the experiment was a failure. His experiment was a failure. Um, But I would still, you know, so part of me would still love to see that that same thought experiment done successfully. So yes, please let's approach the Hobbit again from the point of view of the Lord of the Rings and let's try to get it, do it, try to do it well this time. Um, a big part of me wants to say that, but of course a, a big part of me also wants to say, you know what? If we did it in that order, it, we could do it much more in keeping with the, with the tone of the, let's just tell Bilbo's version of the story and even maybe work into the Lord of the Rings films that come after how the Hobbit story that we all knew and that we all received right. in the first film isn't the whole story or the, that Bilbo, right. you know, the frame of that story is that this is the story that Bilbo is telling and that he knows, but he doesn't know much of the real story. And, right. you know, so like basically the, uh, the parallel to the sh- to the uh, the shadows of the past chapter, you know, chapter two of the Fellowship of the Ring, 
in the conversation that Gandalf and Frodo have at the beginning of the of the Fellowship of the Ring film, you could then go back over a bunch of the things from the Hobbit film and fill in and, and sort of allude to the fact that Bilbo was kind of clueless. So it would be kind of fun to build it that way too, um, to do to do the Hobbit from the more book like um, Bilbo's sort of limited perspective. Not telling the whole story about Dol Guldur and everything, but yet still telling it in such a way that it's still like compatible and ready to receive that stuff kind of grafted onto it in mm-hmm. retrospect. Um, uh, because I would think that that could be done in a relatively lively, lively way. I mean, it'd be really flashback heavy and people would complain about it. But... Well, and you could do stuff like, you know, what we talked about in the first year is you show, you show Gollum leaving the mountain. You know, or you, you, you could set up for the Lord of the Rings in that, in that way. You know, you show him leaving the mountain or you have him, you know, there's like little things that are like kind of left hanging maybe that right. are going to be leading into Fellowship of the Ring. Um, or you, or you do a hunt for Gollum. You know, you have a hunt for Gollum movie. Well, make see, it, this is the thing. Make it, you know, yeah. I mean, instead of making the Hobbit, a tr- you know, the whole Hobbit a trilogy, make it a trilogy, but include pieces, you know, maybe include Hunt for Gollum or have it be that bridge film that we talked about. I don't know. Right. I mean, you know, there's other options there. Right. Exactly. Um, that's um, that's exactly what my own thoughts are when I'm thinking about the the serial version. Right. So when I actually right. think to what will we do when we get to that, you know, what will we do in 2028 when we get to the Hobbit stuff, you know, in the film film project? Because um, right, I figure right, it'll, prob- yeah. it'll probably come in around question. season 15, right? So, yeah, this what happens like when you guys in the, in, the, in the farewell appendix thing that you watched, you know, right? Corey's grandchildren will be dandling, he'll be dandling his grandchildren. Yeah, his that's true. We talk about the <laughs> oh, as, you, as will you. <laughs> true. Um, I do, I wonder, like, um, you know, what, okay, so Peter Jackson made some Lord of the Rings films and then went back and tried to turn The Hobbit into a prequel for The Lord of the Rings, which I think we all sort of agree was, like, a pretty cool idea and could have worked. Um, but, but you know, but you do necessarily pay some penalty for in terms of, like, there's going to be certain stuff you love about The Hobbit that you'll lose in doing that. I wonder what potential, like, what are the, what are the, Opportunities and challenges of doing it the other direction, which is what, which is kind of what we're talking about, what you were talking about earlier, Trish. Which is, suppose you've made 15 seasons of um, of the Silmarillion <laughs> or something, and then you decide, you decide now let's make now let's bring it up to to to, to um, you know let's bring it up to to you know current current events, let's call them, and um, cover the events of the Hobbit. And let's make that. Let's make the Hobbit into in the mode of the Silmarillion, but also fill out all well, this heck, other you stuff. Oh, know darn good! Well, I mean, we're going to have like one whole season is going to be devoted to Smaug coming to Erebor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, right. see, no, that's true. But like, but here's the thing. But, but I do wonder, like, I do wonder at what point, like, if you're making this series, um, if these events become like these, just kind of these things that happened off in these hillbilly areas that people from Gondor heard about and that nobody really pays attention to or realizes important until like much later. Well, because the, this is where the frame comes in, right? Right. Um, and, you know, and you've got, you know, Sam telling his, you know, his kids, uh, about what, you know, so basically it makes it really easy to do because, you, we, we can have 
a frame in which somebody comes to, well, I think I mean, Sam is kind of the obvious person, right? Somebody comes to Sam and says, tell us again the story of, of old Mr. Bilbo, you know, and his, and his quest, um, you know, his, uh, his, his journey to, uh, to, to, to the Lonely Mountain. And so he tells the story and he confines himself essentially to the book, like following the journey of Bilbo right. from Bag End to the mountain. And he and does back. it from a Hobbit's point of view and, and he's he, telling the story to Hobbits. So exactly. It's, exactly. It's, so yeah. it's, you know, it, it's a piece of the overall history and it's a piece that would fit into the overall history. But yes, it's biased from the Hobbits. It's biased to the Hobbits point. It pays more attention to Bilbo's character. Probably also pays attention to other things like, like Thorin's story and, you know, all the, all those things that Bilbo himself became so invested in and came to care about. It would, it would touch on those things too, but it wouldn't be trying to, you wouldn't have to do the roll the whole story into one. And then you have another frame where somebody else, maybe you know, it could be the same one that is like, so, you know, Sam's grandkid comes to him and says like, oh, okay, but where did Gandalf go? Anyway, you know, Gandalf went away, you said, and then he came back. Where was he? And Sam's like, oh, well, that's another story. And then you tell the story about, you know, Sauron in hiding and the necromancer and Gandalf going to the dungeons and then go, you know, and, and then later on during the time of the Hobbit, he was going to to meet the White Council and they drove Sauron out. You can tell that whole story then um, and show how they fit together and show how the, you know, the Hobbit works in the context of all this stuff. But you don't have to just try to make it one big overarching epic singular story. Mm. Um, you know, because it's episodic, it's serial, and and so it, it it would enable us to break that up, or we could go back and forth if we wanted to. Uh, you know, I mean, we could try to integrate it, but I don't think we need to. I mean, I, to me, it's more satisfying to break it into those sort of those kinds of discrete chunks and say, here's. And actually, the Hobbit itself, the book is episodic. Yeah, so yeah, it lends very episodic. Really well to that. Yeah, um, and then you know that also let that also gets rid of. One of the issues in the reason I think why Jackson explained why he, you know, brought Azog back and made Azog the big bad is because in movie one and two, maybe, or for sure in movie one, there wasn't a big, there wasn't a big bad guy. You know, there wasn't a, somebody to fight against right. in the first movie. Right. Um, so, you know, he, he did Azog. And I think doing it serially, I don't know that it would be that episodically because episodically there are bad guys you know there's the exactly. trolls and the exactly wargs, so and you, you can have it and you can and and frankly i think that that was a mistake anyway on jackson's part yeah. i mean i i don't yeah. subscribe to the assumption that he seems to be making which is right. that there has to be a central anta antagonist right. that you introduce in the first film i think the first film really could just have been about you know, what the central theme of the film was, which was Bilbo leaving home and uh, the right. issue of his home. The antagonist, and his antagonist could have been Thorin, you know, in other Essentially, words, working out their relationship like, with each other. Yeah, like the know? wild itself in general, you know. Yeah. The, right. Think of the the way that the, the Bilbo storyline culminates um, in that scene after they're reunited um, on the slopes of the mountain, right? You know, when, uh, right. when Bilbo, you know, goes up to Thorin and says, you know, I, I know that you don't, you know, uh, uh, I'm forgetting his wording now. Um, you know, that you, that, that you don't want me you along. Don't like me. Yeah, that you don't respect me. <laughs> I know and, you don't and, like me. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, I mean, like that scene, and then of course what happens, you know, the, 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 you know, sort of the bromance moment on the Carrick, you know, with the, with the manly hug on the Carrick afterwards, right. like, 
to me, that's enough. You don't need Azok. Like, you don't need an antagonist. Yeah. You've got a story there. You don't actually have to have a boss bad guy to have, you know, conflict and development and, uh, you know, drama and all of these, all of these kinds of things. Um, so I, so I mean, I disagree with the assumption that appears to have been made, you know, in the making of that film. Um, from the beginning. Uh, I mean, in my adaptation, yes, Bolg would still be in his rightful place and Azog would be rightfully dead. Yeah, I would do that. But more, I wouldn't even introduce Bolg until like maybe, you know, like halfway through at most. And he would, and I would introduce him through Bjorn. Um, uh, and I would, right. and you know, I mean, it would really just be like, he would see this as an opportunity to take vengeance on. I mean, I, I wouldn't give him motivations much different than we have in the book. Right, which is that mm-hmm. it's a um, vengeance for the great goblin who was killed. B vengeance for the battle of Azanulbazar, which he well remembers and 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 is still you know still rankles in the memories of Bolg and the other orcs of the Misty Mountains. And uh, and third, opportunism for the treasure. You know, like that's enough. You don't need more than that. And technically, the Azanulbazar part isn't even really in the book itself, right? That's um, yeah, it is. It was well, okay. I mean, no, it, like the think, battle of Azanulbazar isn't mentioned. No, but yeah. but Gandalf does say when um, when Bolg shows up, when the goblins show up, and Gandalf does that thing where he pops up in between the three armies and tells everybody to stop. He says he mentions that the goblins are led by Bolg, whose father you slew oh, in Moria, that's right. Dan. That's um, right. So he brings right. up the connection that there is like a personal vengeance thing that the yeah. that the general of the of the goblins has. So you know it's fine. Like we could do all that. Um, but again, I, I you know you just you don't need you don't need more than that. I I, I just I feel like there's this sort of assumption about. Um, that there has to be Must that always have an antagonist. Yeah, a boss bad guy. I, I don't buy it. I just I don't buy it. Um you don't need a no, sense of that was villain. always the No, and of course those were the worst parts of those films. Yes. Yes. Um That's right. I mean because the boss bad guy is Smaug. And should stay smog. I mean, that should be. And then you've got these little mini bosses. You've got the trolls. You've got the wargs. You've got the sp- you the goblins. You've got the spiders. You know, I mean, there still are antagonists. It's just we don't have a big one. And I think it, it definitely could have worked. Right. And then, and, and, and just to follow up on that really quickly, if you say, but wait a second, if Smaug is the big boss guy and he dies and then there's still all this story to come after he dies, like, isn't that awkward? What happens then? To which there are two responses, right? First, yeah, it's supposed to be. That moment, of course, happens in the books when, when all of a sudden there's, there's like the dragon's dead and Bilbo thinks that the adventure, properly speaking, is over, but the narrator has to tell us he was very wrong about this, right? Um, there's still right. a lot of book left to go. The book still, you know, the story still goes on in ways which surprise everybody because the boss is a big boss. Say is something dead. Similar to, uh, one of his- yeah, actually, yeah. Right. That would it, work great with a bunch of Hobbit children with sitting a, around listening. Exactly. Oh, the dragon's dead. Okay, it's done. Let's go have ice cream. But right. Wait. Exactly. Exactly. No. No, that's not the end. And who's the antagonist in the end? Bolg, yeah, in the sense that he's the general of the bad guy, but he's not the antagonist. Thorin is the antagonist. Thorin is like the, antagonist. the dragon yeah. sickness is the antagonist at the end. Right. So in a sense, like the shadow of Smaug, you know, still is, or, you know, still, still yeah. is essentially, cool. you know, the, See, that is a cool story. I think yes. that's very cool. Yes, I and mean, but, that would work really this, well. None of this swallowed up in a sea of gold stuff. We'll, no, we'll no. That. Right. Um, and also, uh, so, okay, but here's a here's a question. Um, 
I think I sort of, in grand scheme of things, um, I think ultimately I was dissatisfied with the attempt, uh, maybe not necessarily the idea, but the attempt to tie everything together and make Sauron the ultimate organizer of all evil things uh, everywhere at all times. I kind of disliked yeah. the... Um, I kind of, you know, sort of, in grand scheme of things, I, to the version Jackson gave me, I prefer the book where the um, the, the goblins coming are, are you know, sort of... Independent, they're independent operators. Yeah, and they're, they're you catastrophic, so no one sees them coming. Um, and it has an, it, that plays a really great unexpected role. They're truly you catastrophic, not like we knew they were coming all along, Gandalf's been trying to tell us, and we've seen all the scenes that have shown they're coming. Um, but also, yes, they're independent. Like, Bolg is literally there for, like, he stirred up, like, the, the, the goblins are there because they got stirred up because they, because the dwarves killed the great goblin, and Bolg wants revenge, and they want gold and all that kind of stuff. That said, I, I think in a Silmarillion TV series type thing, I think we probably want to move in the direction of coordination between evil things. Right. So, yeah. what do you think ah, is a good way to do? How would you guys go about doing that? I would want. I mean, this was something which, again, I thought was is just, just another one of those things, another one of those questions, which the I the question of it of adapting the book brought up for us in our discussions before the films came out. The things, some of the things that they said during the earlier films still left it open that they were going to be thinking in some interesting ways about that. But then the question of what was the relationship between Sauron and Smaug and how was that relationship established, it just vanishes and is completely dropped and nothing is done with it at all, as far as I can tell in the third film. Um, <laughs> so... Again, just another one of those kinds of examples. So yeah, I, I, I would, I would, I mean, what I would want to see is this, the, the Smaug should, Sauron should be communicating with Smaug. And I think there could be some really interesting negotiations where yes. Sauron is essentially, you know, Sauron wants to establish a Lord Vassal relationship with Smaug. But Smaug is playing hard to get. You know, Smaug basically thinks of himself as uh, more of a colleague than a servant of Sauron, um, and uh, you know that. He, and and you know, and sort of this game where Sauron is on the is sort of flattering him, but we can also see that he's he's actually just trying to wind Smaug up and he's actually playing Smaug, but Smaug on the other hand, he's also really smart and so he sort of sees how Sauron is trying to play him and he's like, look, I'm not going to be your little lapdog right? I'm, I'm, or not lapdog I'm not going to be your little attack dog right? Um, or maybe like I will seem to go along with you because I have my own motivations for this and I think I can make this work uh, in my, I mean, this this is the kind of scheming that I believe that Sauron and Smaug would actually be doing and I see no reason that they wouldn't be an actual communication. I, th I would think that Sma Sauron would be reaching out to Smaug um, and, and, and suggesting, hey, wouldn't it be lovely if you were to, uh, you know, go on a go on a on a little like vacation? You know, wouldn't wouldn't you like to take an outing by way of, oh, Imladris and sack it? Wouldn't that be fun? Uh, you know, just a little vacation from your horde in the in the in the in the mountain. Um, you know, and, and ha having them actually negotiate how that would happen. And then they get, you know, uh, interrupted. In fact, they could even be interrupted at as like climactic moment, you know, 
Um, mm-hmm. when like, just when they're agreed and Smaug is like, okay, all right, you know, fine. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna set out for Imladris. But, uh, when I do this, when I sack Imladris, then Sauron's gonna be sorry. And I'm gonna, you know, uh, uh, he, he thinks that I'm only serving his will, but in fact, I'm playing my own game. Mwahahaha. And then Bilbo shows up, right? Right. That could be really interesting, you know, but, uh, we didn't get. What about uh, doing it. something similar with the uh, the goblins as well? Well, yeah. I mean, they would be. Uh, I mean, the go- of course the, with the goblins, it's a little bit harder for them to imagine them really feeling like they're free agents to the same extent. I mean, Smaug at least can deceive himself. I mean, because he's so full of himself, right? So I mean, right. he can at least tell himself and probably believe it that like he and Sauron see eye to eye. They're they're really equals. You know, but maybe the maybe the goblins the goblins don't have you know like because at least in the book you get the sense like there's you know Bogues acting entirely well I guess maybe not maybe maybe he maybe he's been in communication with the necromancer or whatever but you could have something where like they've been getting strange messages from this necromancer guy but they don't know what to make of it yet and and the older wiser goblins are like hey you better pay attention to this guy it's our old our old master Sauron, but maybe like, you know, Bold the Young Up starts like, nah, I don't think so. It's just some human necromancer guy or whatever. <laughs> like, it, the White Council didn't know what to make of the necromancer, so it wouldn't be hard to imagine that he, that some of Sauron's, you know, servants yeah. might feel the same way. Well, you know, I mean, now, in, do, you know, in doing I'm that, sorry, I was just going to say, in doing that, we'd have to, it would compel us to think much more, um, much more about the relationship between the evil overlords and the orcs in the first place, right? Yes. By by what mechanism and by what means are the orcs guided and and I mean, are they actually in, are their wills actually enslaved? I mean, are they not just loyal to Sauron, but actually controlled in a sense by Sauron? And is there a moment where he reasserts that control? Um if so, you know. So yeah, I mean, so I'm I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm saying that th- those are the questions that that kind of raises in my mind to think about um, imagining a a an orc society in the Misty Mountains that was independent of Sauron and was kind of forming its own independent culture, and then Sauron is going to essentially at some point he's going to come in and he's going to take over, right? And so in a sense, we can see even a kind of loss within the orc society itself, right? And once again, <clears throat> they're back to, you know, now they're not independent, uh, you know, and they might still have been wicked and unpleasant, but still they were free agents, and now they're not free agents anymore. Now they're just back to being slaves and cannon fodder again, like they used to be back in the old days. Um, and speaking of not being free agents, we do have another thing. If we do this as an episodic thing, you know, as part of, you know, as an extension of the Silmarillion, we would have the Nazgul because they, I mean, I don't know how they play a part in the Hobbit necessarily, but probably in Dol Guldur we would have them because of the fact that we've already introduced them. They've, we've already, we will have already told the story of the Nine Rings, right? Yes. In, in a previous season. So um, now with Sam telling the story of the Hobbit, we don't necessarily have to. But when he goes back to tell the Dol Guldur story, surely we'd have them figure in somehow. Well, but but in fact, you know, in our, in in our adaptation, they they're actually a lot of them are off doing other things. They're right. actually busy. Well, that's right. right. They're they've got the hookah rig going on in the in the river, right? Looking for the ring. <laughs> <laughs> that's their tragedy. They got the carpenter's belt on down in Mordor. 
Yep. Building the yeah. power door. Some of them are are, are, are using the metal detectors in the Gladden fields. <laughs> Some of them right. are, are are you know have got their got their trowels and. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but actually, that's are, a good point. That's a good some point. Some of them are which dusting in uh, in uh, um, down in Minas Morgul. In Minas Morgul, absolutely <laughs> right. Yeah. They're they're plugging in the uh, the Watcher statues. <laughs> that's right. Um, that's right. Um, but but actually, that's a good point. <laughs> which is that could be the way we do it. Which is that this issue of Dal Guldur and what's happening with Smaug is not important enough. In other words, Sauron has other things going on that these guys are needing to oversee that are more higher priority than this little thing going on, right? Because truthfully, it is a little thing. I mean, the one ring isn't even part of this story as far as Sauron's concerned. Right. He has no, you know, so yeah, that's actually really... Gandalf does say in Appendix A that, uh, you know, they would have worked in conjunction and that it would have been a big deal and that Smaug, you know, could have gone and and destroyed Imladris. And, you know, so we get that, but, but it's, it's, um... But you're right that there's no reason to think. I mean, I thought that it was it was just, it was another one of those things which, in the third film especially, they just waved their hands at and never, you know, Gandalf says, and I think he says it more often in the extended edition than he said it in the theatrical edition. We got a few extra instances of Gandalf sort of blathering vaguely about how strategic the position of the uh, mountain is. It's the key to the whole started. north, and I'm like. <laughs> What are you talking about? Like, I mean, don't you can say that, that all you like, but, um, but the fact is, it was the other way round. It wasn't that, like, oh, if Sauron doesn't control the mountain, the mountain, then the north is closed to him. No, it was the other way around. Since Sauron didn't control the mountain, like, since the, 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 the dwarves and the men of Dale were there, then Sauron just didn't have free, I mean, otherwise, if they weren't there, had, had the mountain kingdom never been reestablished, then Sauron just would have had, you know, the free ability to move his armies anywhere he wanted to in the north. Right. Since there was a kingdom hostile to him in the north, he couldn't do that. Um, so right. it became strategic when it got taken over by the good guys. <laughs> but it's yeah. not that, like, Sauron is like, oh, all of his plans for world domination hinge <laughs> upon him possessing Erebor. Like, that's just silly. Um, oh, but any, anyhow, still anyhow. cringe. Um, yeah. But, but no, that's by that's the other thing. You know, later on down the line in a future uh, season, then we get to do the War of the North, which would be fun too. To do. Yeah. See, I mean, I think, and all of that stuff can be done episodically. You know, I mean, each yeah. each can be told. I mean, this is how I would want to treat, especially these portions of sort of the history of the Third Age, when we're not going to be really like long term immersing ourselves in, in 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 you know, or rather, let me say it the other way. We wouldn't need to do the story of the, you know, the first 3,000 years of the Third Age, for instance. We wouldn't need to do that story like the tale of years in Appendix B, right? You know, we wouldn't need to just kind of march through, here's everything that was happening and we're going to jump from one place to another covering all of the major events. We can just tell each individual story. Right. Let's right. tell. Let's tell the story of the rise of Sauron again. What happened to Sauron when he, when the ring was taken from him um, at at the Battle of Daggerlad, and what happened to him afterwards, and how did he get back? You know. So we have like, and you could do it in one or two episodes. I would think. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. Maybe three if we're gonna. You know, maybe a couple more if we're gonna build up the whole Battle of Dol Guldur and stuff. But um, well, and, you know, we have to show him meeting with Shalab. And- 
know. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there are lots of things that we could do there. But, you know, so maybe, maybe we do a half season or something, which is just the story of Sauron in the Third Age, right? How did he get from Daggerlad to, you know, uh, to Baradur, um, you know, in, in, in the Lord of the Rings? Um, we just tell that story and then ignore the rest of the stories, right? Because we'll tell their other stories somewhere else and then tell another story. You know, then we tell like the young Aragorn story, right? Meanwhile, here's Aragorn growing up. Let's, let's tell the story of Aragorn growing up and, 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 you know, and we can contextualize that with like the story of the, or, you know, what, tell, let's tell the story of the North Kingdom of Arnor, right? What happened in Arnor? And so we get, you know, another however many episodes we want to do with the history of Arnor and the divide into the three kingdoms and then the war between Angmar and Arthedain, and you know, we we can take as many episodes, we could take a whole season to do the story of Arnor if we wanted to, but it's not like we have to march along, like, let's do Arnor and Gondor in parallel, and let's just tell the whole story, and meanwhile, what was, what what were the dwarves up to, and and meanwhile, what was happening in Lothlorien, and everything. We don't have to tell the story like that. We just tell each individual story. Um, and, you know, and, and that seems to me it, a very liberating way to do this kind of storytelling by the way i just like uh i like uh um uh jared michael's theory that the hypothesis the semaphore was originally put there to send messages to smaug (laughs) (laughs) i like that's why that's why no one was surprised to see it up there uh right or even to see or even to see goblins standing up there using it ah they're always up there sending messages yeah it's just part of the yeah it's just part of the communication system yeah yeah um yeah yeah. No, I mean, there's, 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 so, so yes, I mean, needless to say, I am most excited to get to this part of, uh, of the, you know, the film film project, um, which we will doubtless carry on calling the film film project long after we start re-adapting The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Um, By but, the way, yeah. just well, we do have that whole, sec- that we do have what, like two pages? Just at the end of the Summerillion called of the third age, you know, the rings in the third exactly. age. Exactly. It's all there. Um, by the way, just note future future discussion topic for um, season twelve or something of uh, film film, uh, or maybe maybe this is like a if you ever do a like next time you do an office hours or Q and A, are the nine always the same nine or can those rings be taken from their owners by from Mark Ingram? Ooh. That's an interesting question. There's no evidence that they did change around. I mean, that would be kind of interesting. Like, yeah, I, I, I had to fire three of the Nazgul and I handed their rings off to some other poor suckers, so I've replaced them <laughs> in the ranks. You know, yeah, they got, they got totally voted they out of... They were pulling their tra- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I wonder, like... They got know, voted early... out of Minas Morgul by the other eight, so I'm sorry. Yeah. They were completely... Miss unmanageable. Yeah, yeah, they got voted. They got voted off the island. Yeah, but <laughs> like early in your possession of of your of your man ring, could you be vulnerable to being killed and then having somebody else take it? Possibly, possibly. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, like I it's so. theoretically possible. I, 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 um, I mean, like for instance, when the Witch King is killed, um, Sauron has his ring. He could presumably give it to somebody else, you know, who would eventually become a wraith. It's a little time consuming, right? I mean, uh, 
there's a lot of uh, <laughs> there's a lot of training. <laughs> exactly, there's so much training. It's a real personnel problem for 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 Sauron, right? I mean, the the upfront cost for him, the you know, the investment that he has to place in each one of his his employees here is so great that it really, as a human resources practice, it's not worth it. Yeah, but, he wants uh, to get a return on the investment. That's right. Yeah, that's absolutely. Right. absolutely. I mean, gosh. Um, he's not going to want to have to groom up an entirely new Nazgul uh, uh, from scratch. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, had Sauron not been defeated, you know, had had uh, had Eowyn killed the Witch King, but then Sauron come back and won, um, you got to think eventually he's going to he, he's going to give that ring to somebody else, right? He's not just going to hang on to it and be like, "Well, I've still got eight. That's good enough, right?" Um, <laughs> Presumably, it's got to be an odd <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> There's going to be all these all these split decisions among the Nazgul, right? The Witch King was the necessary swing vote, and now he's not there. You know, so all kinds of problems. Forever stuck in deadlock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about the one way Minas Morgul could have gotten worse, right? Um, but uh, but yeah so 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 no I mean and especially imagining the conquest of the conquest of the West I mean think of the little glimpse of the potential future uh, I'm thinking of what the mouth of Sauron says right when the 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 terms and conditions that he lists um, you know for the surrendering of Frodo and Sam. Um, uh, you know, when he, when he's talking about how they, you know, they have to swear fealty and they're not going to be allowed to bear weapons and we get that one little brief glimpse of, of them being the thralls, you know, all of the West being the thralls to Sauron and how the mouth of Sauron was going to be, uh, was going to be set over them, uh, as their overseer and, and ruler. Um, it's easy to imagine in a situation like that, that, um, Sauron would choose to want, w- w- would actively want to corrupt somebody and give him a ring, you know, maybe somebody like Denethor would have been a great candidate, um, conceivably, but maybe he was still a little bit too unruly. Um, Saruman, of course, is not trustworthy, um, so it's not going to be it's not going to be Saruman. But you know, if if he could corrupt somebody like one of the Haradrim or Easterlings that he's possibly, he's, but I'm even thinking of somebody like Prince Imrahil, right? Ah, you know, yeah. Give Prin- yeah. Prince Imrahil a ring of power and turn him into a ring wraith. That'd be handy, right? Or Aemir, for crying out loud. Or, or that's true. You know, what Eowyn? Hey, why not Eowyn? Right? You know, it could have a female ring wraith. Why not? That's um, right. She's already discontented, right? You know, I mean, she's already two steps towards the dark side, right? It wouldn't be hard well, to so push her over the edge. She killed, you know, she killed the, the king. Exactly. She killed twice, him again. Right? She should get his ring, right? I mean, it, it's imagining the 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 world which, you know, the mouth of Sauron briefly kind of paints for them. Um, I would think that um, uh, he would he would give it he would give it away again, but. Um, but yeah, yeah, I do think, I do think that, uh, that, that, so it's theoretically possible, but we certainly have no evidence that it ever has happened. Um, in fact, the ways in which they talk about them certainly lead us to believe that at least, you know, Aragorn and, um, Aragorn and Elrond and, and, uh, and Gandalf and Gildor and everybody are certainly all assuming that the nine are the nine, you know, the same people. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brian Yoder says it's amusing to talk about all these dark and horrifying futures in such a light and airy manner. Yeah, because see, Brian, we know that they're not going to happen, right? So it's you know we can 
it's it's it is in that way not like reading a George R. R. Martin novel. Um, you know, so we don't we don't have to <laughs> we don't have to live with a continual dread that these worst case scenarios are actually likely to 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 happen. <laughs> And on that note, I think we I think we need to wrap up for the night <laughs> before 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 I badmouth anybody else. <laughs> yeah, throw a little rowling in there and we'll be complete. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um and Carolyn, you're absolutely right. If Boromir had lived, he would have been the perfect recipient of the oh, yeah, power. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and Nick, I, I totally agree. Had Eowyn been taken and uh, submitted to a little bit of psychological torture, I, I, I totally, I could totally see Eowyn becoming. She would be my, uh, she would be my, my the 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 one I think would be kind of coolest, um, sort of the, the coolest choice for someone to try to turn into a. She'd be Sauron's answer to Gal- to Galadriel. Yeah, oh, that would be that would be fun. Actually, sort of Don't a fun forget. conflict. Yeah. Don't forget Alfred. Don't forget Alfred. I'm trying to forget Alfred. Would you please let me forget Alfred? Oh, goodness. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's cool stuff. But okay. We should let everybody go. We've gone on. Surprise, surprise. It's the reunion episode of the, of the (laughs) Riddles in the Dark and we've gone for like more than two hours. So yeah. Um, and we have we have a show to do tomorrow too. So. And we do, yes, That's true. yes. Everybody we should let everybody go so they can get a few hours of sleep in order to come back and <laughs> talk about the Silmarillion film project tomorrow. We gotta, we we've got Valinor to establish tomorrow, so we've got That's we've right. we've still got lots of work ahead of us here. So it's true. Um, now we get to yeah now now we can resume our we can abandon once again abandon the strictures of reality and go back into our yeah. imagination. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's going to be so liberating. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, uh, we, and, and, you know, just sort of thanks again in retrospect for everybody's engagement and questions and, uh, support and tolerance and encouragement during the whole Riddles in the Dark, uh, uh, process. It's been really fun. Uh, it, it, it's been a very fun journey and especially with, uh, you, my co-hosts have been, uh, so delighted to, uh, uh, to go on this journey with you. And even though, you know, the, uh, the Riddles in the Dark journey has had, in a sense, a, a frustrating kind of ending. Um, nevertheless, you know, it, it's, it's been a really fun trip and, uh, and we certainly have learned a lot from it and it's, uh, it will be delightful to shift back to the sort of positive constructive thing which has come from it, uh, namely the Sim Film Project. So, uh, look forward to carrying on there, but thank you guys for joining me. Mm-hmm. And are you kidding, man? Frustrating. Frustrating would have been if we didn't didn't get to sit and rant and and. <laughs> I feel so much better now that I've gotten that off my chest. Like I, oh man, I was uh, and I was watching it late at night too, so I couldn't like even cuss aloud Shout. or anything. Yeah, I was. I had to be. I had to be not only polite but silent while watching it. So I was just like downstairs oh, making strangling like noises. Cooker. Yeah, it was awful. You didn't walk outside, like walk outside, shut the door and go. Ah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh man. Anyway, so yes, thank you guys. I appreciate uh, your you've uh, you've you've contributed to my 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 psych my psychiatric well being here this evening. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, and yeah, and we'll see you guys in the morning for film film. So thanks everybody for joining us. We'll say thanks for listening and Godspeed. <laughs>